Ladies and gentlemen, this is season three of the Middling Pop Culture Podcast Peak Show. show where if you want a Maserati, you better work, bitch. I'm your host, Bree Rohde, and I lift my hands and pray to be only yours. And who is with me on the line today? I am not a girl, but not yet a woman. I'm Liz. And Liz, you are a friend of the show. You're probably the best friend of the show. Um, So take that, Kelsey and Mint and Mike. (laughs) Uh, Liz is the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Real Good Pros, um, hosted by fellow friend of the show, Helen. Um, and they have very normal opinions about the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> Incredibly normal. Totally chill and normal reactions to the things they do. I would actually call it the most hinged podcast around. <laughs> <laughs> we are, yeah, no, absolutely. In terms of, like, reactions, I feel like we are the most level-headed people. <laughs> We're recording this about a month before it's coming out, and so I just want to say that Liz and I are currently recovering from the recently surfaced footage of John Tavares and Mitch Marner reading a scene from The Notebook. <laughs> that stuff completely unhinged, completely oh. <laughs> not normal about, but... <laughs> How can... Why are sports so heterosexual? Like when It's there's... truly the, like, you create rituals to touch another man kind <laughs> of thing. Like, it's beautiful. I love it so much. <laughs> They're good actors. They're... They're... As I've said, I wish Nick or Nick, I wish that Mitch did the Rachel McAdams Southern accent, but we can't have it all. <laughs> he has a, what we call a Markham regional dialect. Um, yes. Now, Liz is back today. Um, Liz, you've joined us for previous episodes on So You Think You Can Dance as an expert on dance and uh, on the rest of development. And it's always sunny in Philadelphia as, frankly, an expert in being funny. Um, <laughs> But Liz is back today because I was like, I need someone with a genuine interest in pop music as a fan who is also able to laugh at some of the more absurd and fucked up things about it. And preferably someone who is a woman. Um, (laughs) Because folks, today we're talking about a genre and a subgenre, which is something we have not done since season one when we talked about the peak of Canadian indie music. We are here today to talk about the peak of the millennial pop diva, which means trying to actually figure out a timeline on the millennial pop diva. So when you see these terms, I think people probably instinctively know we're talking about Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, et cetera. But of course, peak show, uh, you know, I always say culture is art plus context. So, and it is probably valid to ask, why isn't this an episode about Britney Spears? And like the one liner I was thinking is, I've told people I'll never do a peak show about Harry Potter slash JK Rowling because I hate her. I will never (laughs) do a peak show episode about Britney Spears because I love her. Yeah, Um, don't make me choose a peak of Britney Spears. Like, that is my mother. (laughs) Yeah, like, this episode will largely end up being about Britney because she defined the genre. But, like, 
considering everything Brittany has gone through recently and like both of us, you know, our quote unquote expertise on mental illness is <laughs> having it. Yeah, but, no, exactly. <laughs> but it just feels so dicey zeroing in on her critically, even if it's solely from an artistic perspective. And I don't think you can do like you can't just talk about what Brittany's gone through without discussing the broader context of the teen pop diva machine. No, exactly. Like, I think that all of these things that we've kind of like laid out to talk about contribute to the story of Britney Spears. And like, you can't understand like Britney Spears and the culture in which that she rose and fell and then kind of rose again without understanding the other players in the game because they contributed to that rise and fall and everything mm -hmm. like that. And like, the, the one thing I'm probably going to keep coming back to a million times, like, both you and I. I mean, we are both children of the 80s and 90s. Um, I'm barely a child of the 80s. I was born in 89. But like, um, <laughs> neither of us have been teenagers for a long time. And so it's like it, the more space that gets put between me and my teen years, the more I think, my God, these were children. These yeah, were no. children. Like, no, absolutely. Like, I thinking about teen me is like thinking about a completely different human mm -hmm. and then trying to wrap my head around like these people being the same age and going through what they went through and i'm like oh no oh no 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 <laughs> i have a kid i mentor who is 18 and like she's she's been through you know stuff that is fairly normal for an 18 year old to go to but i still feel like i have to like tell her so many basic things like even just like you know how to cook or like mm -hmm. here's how you look this up here's how you make a, a doctor's appointment and stuff and so, yeah um no, it's, exactly so yeah uh, this is probably a good indication of why it's so important to look objectively as objectively as one can at that era and ask like what does it say about how we viewed women really girls at the time and what does it say about how we treated teenagers how we perceive teen girls um and you and i i think a common thing in every episode that you've been a part of is how do you reconcile legitimately enjoying something when <laughs> you also add in this like really seedy underbelly that there's a lot to criticize and i don't think there's a easy answer except that that's why we're here mm -hmm. no exactly and i think all of them you approach them in different ways because it's like how is it the cd underbelly kind of thing like a, like and how am i engaging in this product and who's profiting and it's such an interesting conversation that we're having constantly i feel like and mm -hmm. i think it's really interesting to apply it even to something like this concept of just like the pop girls and mm -hmm. it's like you wouldn't you're like yeah of course there's a cd underbelly to the music industry but then like looking back at like specifically all of this stuff and you're like holy fuck <laughs> it's like there's a weird thing where and i i try not to i feel bad saying this term because i don't want to use it in a sense like in a way that is light or there's any levity to it but when you think about just from a pure exploitation angle i'm like oh there's so many child trafficking parallels like no i mean yeah. Literally, literally, if you look at it, like the age in which Britney Spears was signed up to the music industry, like she was like 16 years old and put mm -hmm. into the control of these men that literally just controlled every single thing she did. And you, I always think about like in the You're Wrong About podcast, like way back, I think they were specifically talking about like Princess Diana and Michael Hobbs said that fame is a form of abuse. and it has stuck with me so much because it is like there 
you can I don't think you can balance out the positives that you get from this, especially like these era, like this era of musicians and female musicians specifically and the negatives they received. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of them are like, no, I would never like, I am very happy for what I have, but like the other side of it is just horrific. They're basically the kid from Room in terms of like yeah. the, this altered perception of reality. And like, it's funny because, and you've talked a lot in Real Good Pros about like with the draft and, you know, we joking, I don't think a single draft has gone by since 2017 where I haven't uh, posted the principal Skinner boy for sale. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, that it's like, oh, we're taking these teenagers and we're auctioning off their labor rights. Um, yeah. At least, at least we can say they are legal adults, but I mean... Uh, there's nary a fully formed frontal lobe in that room. Um, <laughs> no, exactly. And yeah. and it's the concept of when you got famous is when your brain stopped developing because mm -hmm. that is essentially the age you are forever. And so you think about these kids that were on Star Search and it's like, okay, cool. Little like 13 year olds starting their fame journey. What does that mean for them on like a neurological level? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Liz, uh, you are well on your fan journey um, because you've done the peak show tradition before of sharing some peak Liz moments. The lovely thing about you is I know that there are so many peak Liz moments. <laughs> so for our listeners who might not know you yet, please let them in on a moment in your life that was peak Liz. All right. So this one is uh, specific to the topic at hand. A peak Liz moment was when I created uh, choreography to I'm a slave for you to perform for my grandparents. <laughs> oh, no. There were other songs. Um, I feel like I had like a mixed CD of like my favorite songs at the time kind of thing. But I specifically remember I'm a Slave for You because it was one of my favorite songs at the time. And them just being like, huh, okay. <laughs> I have seen a few pictures. You posted a few pictures of young Liz. And so I can picture it with this like very steely stare as well. Um, yeah, 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 no, exactly. So much like our Canadian indie episode, this one, this is harder to do in the traditional peak show format because I usually start with history and then go into loose notes. But the history is the context. The history is the discussion. So I think the whole purpose of this episode, aside from finding the peak, is going to be establishing the timeline. Um, so we should dive right in. But of course, before we do, we need to know, Liz, tell me about how you first got into the female-fronted pop music genre. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was I was born in 94. So by the time that these stars were kind of beginning their journey, I think like Baby One More Time came out in like 99 or something like that. I was at least like aware enough that I was like, oh, this is fun. I like this and just essentially grew up. Like I was their target demographic, like Disney and Columbia and Sony and Jive Records were just like, this is what we want. And it's just like an impressionable young girl, just like, hi, I like music. <laughs> um, I absolutely loved this music. Um, and I think it's truly like, I don't necessarily have a history finding it because I just was born into it kind of thing mm -hmm. like the era in which I grew up there was no escaping it um because I had like much music was always playing them the radio was playing them even like family channel uh which for your American listeners is essentially Canada's Disney channel um, basically 
Yeah, so they would have like the Disney stars during commercial breaks singing their latest song. So I would see Brittany and Christina there. The amount of times I saw the reflection music video growing up. We're going to talk about reflection. Oh, reflection. Um, But yeah, no, it was completely like my entire world. And it was what people talked about at school. Like school dances were Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, like specifically those two kind of thing. After Walk to Remember came out, there was a lot of Mandy Moore thrown in, um, in my non-religious school dances that were like, yes, let's let's listen to the Jesus songs. I mean, there were a lot of, uh, I'll say, age 12 lyrical solos to Only Hope that year too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. I was in dance. Um, and so do you need a jazz number? Do you need do you do you want a lyrical number to so many womanizer jazz groups? Ugh. I mean, womanizer slapped and it deserved all those jazz groups, but like it was I mean, I even in I was in dance in school as well, and so we had a little more liberty with like the music we could choose kind of thing and just nonstop all of these people. Um I was also kind of like I was saying I was born into this the right age so as I grew up I kind of grew up with them so as like Britney got into like new like um specifically like breakout like um different change in music like I was kind of ready for that sort of thing um like I said listening to it dances and everything and then into high school is when the recession era kind of popped really started so then it was the same thing I was just completely embedded in the culture constantly and like I did have my like rebellious eras like my parents are big like metal heads um so I did have my like years of being like I don't like Britney Spears I like Metallica and thinking I was like so edgy but then at the same time I have vivid memories of saying like to my parents like no Britney covered I love rock and roll so she's rock and roll (laughs) suck on that and i don't know they're just always it's one of those things that's like i cannot divorce my life from this genre of music because it has just been such a constant (laughs) this is so funny because first of all i feel like this is one of those things where because you and i are for all intents and purposes the same age but Mm -hmm. we are five years apart which is exactly the um age difference between my sister and i she is five years older than me and this is probably how i feel because the way i would say is we have had essentially all the same pop culture in our life, but we've interacted with it and consumed it very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even this is a question I meant to ask you: Did you have what was YTV's hit list still a thing when you became a music consumer? Like I want to say, yes. I yeah. I feel like I remember it. It didn't go like deep into my childhood, but I feel like like I watched YTV all the time too. Sugar yeah. and Carlos were mom and dad, um, but. <laughs> very specific references are going to be thrown out this podcast um but yeah I feel like I remember watching it like at like sleepovers and stuff like that yeah because it was a Friday night program and I I did watch YTV's hit list as a kid because my swimming lessons were at like you know say six to seven and then come (laughs) home and watch the hit list because I okay I know that the common theme on peak show is there that I wasn't quote unquote, not old enough for anything that my parents just kind of let me, but I self-policed a little bit and I felt I wasn't old enough to watch much music. I don't know why. (laughs) So about like age nine or 10, when I was starting to like decide for myself what my favorite music was, I was watching YTV's hit list 
and oh, yeah. that, but like, I, and I know this is going to sound very try hardy, not like other girls, but I mean, the fact is I wasn't like other girls. Like <laughs> I once told someone, and this is an important fact about my journey with music. The first music video I remember ever seeing was uh, Alanis Morissette head over feet because my sister loved Alanis Morissette. Um, again, five years older than me. So it was perfect to get into that kind of stuff. And I, so as a kid, like I loved Alanis at a very, very young age. And I remember saying that to someone and she goes, oh, wow, you weren't like other girls. And I thought that was so condescending. I'm like, and I just here and said, yeah, it's true. I wasn't. And people made fun of me and called me the D word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like, the, like mm, yeah. I'm not like other girls. I'm bullied. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like other girls. I'm possibly on the spectrum. <laughs> but no, I only scored a 45 on the Rads art. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't dislike pop music. I um, It's just that I was raised on like Alanis from my sister and the Eagles from my dad um, and Harry Chapin. I loved Harry Chapin as a kid. It wasn't until The Office came out that I learned that Scranton, Pennsylvania was a real place because the only... <laughs> I'd only ever heard it before in the context of the song 30,000 Pounds of Bananas. So I that's mean, the. I feel like it's not. It sounds like a we silly don't name. all need to know that Scranton exists. <laughs> but but that, that's where Joe Biden's from. So yeah, we know that at the time. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so I. Um, I was a huge fan of the Spice Girls. So I did, that was another one of those, like very, like one of the first music videos I saw. And I remember my eyes just like, it was like the Requiem for a Dream heroin shooting montage. <laughs> Every just, girl has that with yeah. a very specific artist. <laughs> oh, like they were so wild and uninhibited. And I thought they were so cool. So um, I did not hate pop music, but I wasn't exposed to a lot of it. Um, I do remember the first Britney song I heard, and it wasn't Baby One More Time. It was Soda Pop, which was such a filler song, but for some reason it was on the um, original soundtrack to Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which which I bought because it had that song, Abra, Abra, Cadabra, <laughs> I wanna reach out and grab ya. <laughs> There's a lot to be said about how much music we were exposed to through soundtracks, and, and like, how that doesn't really exist anymore. <laughs> Well, uh, that's just like friend of the show, Eric Peacock and his, his, uh, his podcast Soundtracker, which did a great episode on Crossroads. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I won't act like I was ever ignorant of Brittany and Christina. Um, and my first jazz dance in a recital was to come on over baby. Um, but I, I had no strong feelings about them until middle school. And at that point, that's when I entered my put on obnoxious not like other girls uh stage <laughs> i i really didn't like how sexualized they were and um the funny thing is like i like and i thought it pushed really fucked up ideals and like i was right that's the funny mm -hmm. thing i was right but i was wrong because i blamed them and not the machines that pushed them to fame because no matter like no matter how like intelligent a kid can be most kids especially in the 90s do not understand capitalism no so. <laughs> we can <laughs> pretend we did but we did what the fuck was capitalism? <laughs> yeah, I will also add, and I don't know if this gives me more cred or less cred. I would say less because I was an extremely unlikable teen and tween. <laughs> um, but I was never particularly into something we'll talk about in this episode a lot, which is the anti-Britneys either. Um, I saw through them pretty easily. I think, again, this probably comes from the fact that I was into like Liz Fair and PJ Harvey and Alanis Morissette from a very young age. Mm -hmm. So by the time they were being pushed, I was a little bit older. Like I was 12 when Avril's first album came out. So 
I was like, this is not punk. This is not rock. This is very silly and like complicated. We'll talk about this. Complicated is a country song. Mm -hmm. It is at its core. It's a, it's a good song. I, mm -hmm. I now, I now think complicated is a very good song. I didn't at the time, but um, yeah, I was, um, I, I was kind of like, this is phony baloney horse shit. And I kind of, yes, I'm patting myself on the back. I saw through that right away. I was like, these people would not exist without what they are criticizing. So, mm -hmm. um, but I did start to get genuinely into female fronted pop with the recession pop era. And this for me was university. I loved Just Dance and Poker Face when they first came out. I still love them. Um, I think Just Dance might be shut up mom um sorry my mom just texted me <laughs> i really, really are talking in. about our teenage lives i'm talking to my friends in. on the computer <laughs> oh if i could msn message you liz oh that'd be beautiful yeah uh, no like i still i think just dance is one of the greatest pop songs of all time i remember like being at the gym at laurier and i saw the single ladies video up on the monitor for the first time and i like put my headphones in because i was like this is an amazing music video oh my god like something shifted genetically in me no absolutely um and uh i did so this was also when i started to do like a deep redot sorry my mom has this habit of texting me and she can't just text me once she has to text me five times in a row and i'm trying to force quit messages on <laughs> mom if you're listening to this podcast first of all thank you for finally supporting peak show secondly stop um I'm sorry, folks. We have a fourth text from my mom. Um, <laughs> mom has a lot of Britney thoughts, <laughs> as we all do. <laughs> oh, she she does this when I'm teaching. <laughs> I asked her to. I'm like, do do you I, do you need to write down what I'm teaching? It's the same every week, mom. <laughs> um, Moms have a sixth sense for when you're busy and will not be able to reply to their time sensitive requests. <laughs> Oh, and she's going to take it personally that I don't answer. So, Diane, if you're listening to this, this is what I'm going through on this side. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this recession era was when I did a bit of a deep redive back into Britney. I did start to appreciate her more, but I will say I have never really come around to her early music. Um, I have relitigated like her stuff from her, her, her third album on, and I love it. But I just think that um, her first two albums kind of missed me. I think I was too young to get into the zeitgeist of it, but not young enough to just be sucked into it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think everything from her third album on is extremely strong. I think her, and I also like came to really reappreciate her live performances. Like you, I mean, Liz, you know how terrified of snakes I am, right? Like yes. I've told you before, <laughs> like, I can't even look at a picture of a snake. I get freaked out. I legitimately make an exception for Britney dancing with the snake because it is one of the most it, it is a legitimately powerful image to me um her having power over this snake mm -hmm. who we now know is connected to that other creepy guy from um Tiger King but um I know from uh and previous episode of the show Top Model um that snake's name is Banana and yes. he is like a famous snake he's he <laughs> I guess works with a lot of like um performers and stuff and Can you imagine in, him like interacting with the other snakes and they're just like <laughs> what was Brittany like and he's just like <laughs> sorry you can see but Bree's wiggling 
audio medium. Um, but yeah, like when they did their celebrity photo shoot on Cycle 7 of Top Model, they brought in the real banana. Oh my God. For, I'd be starstruck. Uh, I still wouldn't do it. I'd still be in like a bad way, screaming, crying, throwing up. Mm. Yes. But um, yeah, I think Britney uh, with the snake might be actually like one of the most iconic live performance images you can you can picture. Mm-hmm. No, like, exactly. Who, was that her idea? Like, I honestly believe it was. She seems like a little, I mean, a little wacky. And I think that she probably loved that idea. And it's so interesting because I see like, because there's all those like Twitter accounts now that will share is like the nostalgia accounts and they share like old performances and stuff like that. And people will be like, oh, like people like ate up this performance. Like, and it's like, no, you have to be there. You have to understand, like you have to, it's such a cultural like thing that truly, I don't think like younger generations get like the power that Britney Spears had. Mm-hmm. and was like exhibiting through these like live performances oh yeah like and with both of us being dancers like appre- i can appreciate just she had she had some great choreographers and she and she was a great dancer herself i know a lot of people have come down on the fact that like they felt her dancing went down a notch after a certain while at which point i will say like you know what my dancing ain't what it used to be either and i haven't had two children she's been like literally on screen since she was like 16 years old there's going to be a difference in the way that she moves (laughs) yeah and like i'm sorry like this girl can legitimately do a standing back handspring um you shouldn't have to do a standing back handspring while you're singing no no fuck it you're back (laughs) you should get to a point where your back handspring days are over Um, no exactly we should have a retirement age from back handsprings uh you know it was my wrists that decided they didn't want to do it anymore more than anything yeah (laughs) oh absolutely good for them um (laughs) so as we go down the history one of the things like we um i feel like we cannot talk about these without laying the groundwork and contextualizing i mean we could go back and contextualize as far back as we like because you can talk about like the disco era and stuff but i feel like the most reasonable place to start is like the foremothers of millennial pop the vh1 divas um you know like Whitney, Mariah, Celine, Tony Braxton, Gloria Estefan. Um, Shania is kind of considered among that group, although Shania is distinctly more country, but I do have to like shout out my Timmins Ontario hometown girl. And I mean, she was like like a defining video um, mm-hmm. artist of that time. Even Let's if go was, girls. Let's go girls. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, these were more like the daughters of the disco queens and less the daughters of the 80s pop singers like Madonna and Cyndi Lauper. Like, the this kind of like elegance that skipped a generation they were more anthemic they were on movie soundtracks um i was saying like there hasn't really been a revival of this type of pop diva like the classy soloist they tried that with leona lewis remember her Uh, you want to talk about like lyrical performances (laughs) oh or no because the the briefcase hip-hop dance to bleeding oh, yes, love that's true the throwback <laughs> but you're mentioning like the closest we have is adele and i i think you're right i also think adele kind of stands alone in her category at this mm-hmm. point no i def i think and i think we'll go into this as we go further but there's definitely been a um kind of um i don't want to say like diversification because like but like there's definitely been a more branching out of like instead of having these large chunks of like the vh1 divas and the like video queens and the pop like bubblegum pop and like there's been a definite like people are more individualized now as people play in genres yeah exactly as, as opposed to these kind of large groupings that we can so easily go back on and be like this 
like well, chunk of music. Well, and that's why like, you know, singers like Lady Gaga are very important because Lady Gaga is, she basically is a walking commentary on how all pop personas are just personas. She mm -hmm. is very much like, she is very aware that this is a performance. Cause I would say that Lady Gaga can be one of those, you know, Adele style divas when she feels like it. And, <laughs> no, exactly. um, you know, that's who she was playing when she was promoting A Star Is Born. And mm -hmm. I I think that she that's why she is one of my favorite singers. Um, so key sellers in this era, I was surprised because I'd always thought I'd always read the stat that Shania was the um, biggest selling solo female artist of all time. I think they mean solo female country artist because I haven't written that she has more than 100 million in album sales, which is a lot. But we've got Mariah with 200 million. Celine has, or 220 million for Mariah. Celine has uh, 200 million. Whitney Houston, 200 million. So, uh, yeah, they, these were, and these were the last people who could really like sell a full album, or not the last people, I guess the millennial pop divas were, because now everything is single driven and stream driven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so here's an important question, which we've kind of hashed out in our notes, but where does <laughs> Janet Jackson fit? in all this because like she's she's never been a, been a bring the house down vocalist she's a well-rounded full performance dance driven performer again both dancers so we have danced to a lot of janet in our lives i assume but like miss jackson if you're nasty <laughs> absolutely but like her career has been concurrent with just about all these phases that we talk about with the vh1 divas the millennial pop divas like she's withstood it all mm -hmm. um and yet like maybe she's I, she's always felt like a different class than pretty much every other pop star up until the recession pop era. Um, I'd say like that she kind of fits in fairly well with those. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think like some of those solos, like they were doing just what Janet Jackson had been doing for years. Yeah, no, Jan Janet definitely laid down the, like, if you look back at like 80s Janet Jackson and into the 90s Janet Jackson, like music videos, like you can pinprint even like what Britney was doing, going into Beyonce and Lady Gaga, like in the recession era. And like, I genuinely think that the reason that Janet Jackson doesn't get the flowers that she deserves is because she is a black artist. Mm -hmm. And so therefore wasn't given the same treatment as her peers. And like I said, like peers is being used very lightly here because the mm -hmm. level of influence that Janet has and that she continues to have is enormous. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think also to like a lesser extent, like, we talk about like a bit later on in our notes, like the idea of like nepotism and like, where did these people come from? And Janet Jackson is Michael's sister. Like, mm -hmm. and so I think that like, especially for white audiences who already have this like predisposition against her because she's a black artist, she's also a woman, she's a black woman. So there's that playing into it. And then there's also like, oh, well, like she's Michael's sister, of course she's gonna, like be famous mm -hmm. you know what i mean and i really don't think like it's this concept that keeps coming back of like recontextualizing these artists after like a major thing and i don't think that like janet was taken seriously by primarily white audiences until after the like fallout of the super bowl with like justin timberlake and everything and people being like huh maybe we treated this black artist poorly yeah. And maybe we should look back on that. Because I feel like if you talk to like like we're very obviously like two white Canadians talking about this, I'm sure if you talk to like some like black millennial women, um, they would be like, No, Janet Jackson is better than all of these people because we were like 
she was not part of our monoculture kind no. of thing. Yeah. And I think a common theme, if you look at Janet's lyrics, her videos, her costuming, um, like a theme throughout her entire career is that she is the one in control. I mean, she has an album called Control. Um, and a lot of her imagery shows her as the dominant one, her as the mastermind. And that separated her from what would be pushed at the pop stars of the late 90s, which was a play with control and submission and stuff. And again, I think her being a Black artist undeniably plays into that as well because um, of the perception of Black women as domineering versus mm -hmm. white women being docile and controllable and malleable. Which is hilarious when you think of like, how many times has Madonna like brought out of like a whip and like been like dominant in her like music and music videos and everything like that. And we're like, yes, queen. <laughs> <laughs> so here's where we get to the rise. Speaking speaking of people harmed by Justin Timberlake. Um, <laughs> he's the enemy of this episode. Oh my capitalism. God. <laughs> he truly is. Or maybe all of these women's um parents specifically dads except Ooh. for except for mandy moore's seemingly pretty normal parents including her gay mom um so but um yeah so one thing i noticed about a lot of these big names in this era uh, in, as well as the diva foremothers is that like this is one of the last big waves of young celebrities who weren't um nepo babies uh, and or didn't come from incredibly well-connected families like these people were from working class or middle class families like mandy moore was from an average family in florida jessica simpson was a a baptist youth minister's daughter and i sometimes think like first of all that's part of what led to a lot of these singers having financial conflicts with their parents um mm -hmm. so i hard recommend both on jeanette mccurdy's book if you haven't read it yet it's a really easy read like it's it's emotionally hard to get through but like you can power through that book in a day and it's fantastic um but she also specifically discusses this in her interview with Chelsea Fagan on the financial confessions. And uh, she talks about a lot of things we've already mentioned, including like, you know, that she felt she stopped developing when mentally when she became famous and stuff. But she also talked about how like, she always felt like the stakes were different from her because she was from a working class family and a very, a very poor family actually. And like how she would see these kids that were um, there the, who were like, from money and just like auditioning for stuff as a hobby and mm -hmm. she said the one thing about them and this is why i have a little bit about me that's almost pro nepo baby but she's like <laughs> these people are so much more well adjusted because the financial the financial success of their family is not riding on their shoulders mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. <clears throat> um, there's also, um, no. <laughs> take a drink every time I mention You're Wrong About, um, but uh, You're Wrong About did a really great series on Jessica Simpson's memoir. Mm -hmm. um, I believe she has another one coming up soon, but her like first initial memoir, which is a really great look into kind of the same concepts of like, I am the sole financial supporter of my family. Um, my dad is my manager kind of thing. And I also think the concept of like so many of these girls, um, and even boys, when we look at like the Backstreet Boys and stuff like that, coming from lower to middle class families, they, they're they easier to control because you're like, here, do you want a contract? And they're like, yeah, of course I want a contract. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's going to be a lot of parallels with the BoJack Horseman episode on this. Like I thought I thought a lot of things that I mentioned in my This Is Us episode would come up. But honestly, it's probably going to be a lot of BoJack stuff coming up on this. <laughs> and, and speaking of, like, we've been recording for a while and we haven't even mentioned, like, rest in peace, Aaron Carter. That one <laughs> was, that was a blow because he might have been, like, my first pop crush when I yeah, was a kid, I, I have you know? a poster of him on my wall and Aww. it's just like, it, oh, it's just such a sad story. It's so it's, sad, 
to look back at it and it's, yeah it's well, it's sad i don't think either of us are going to say anything revolutionary about how no. sad it is now but no. but these and so this plays so well into what you're saying because these girls grew out of an area era that was really obsessed with child fame in a way like um and maybe it's because people didn't understand at the time how bad fame is for kids and their brains um like we still have child actors and performers today and kids who like want to be influencers and shit maybe like they're, we're just not so wild about it now because like back in like when i was a little kid we had star search and the mickey mouse club which was a launch pad for so many of these stars and like talk shows like murray and sally jesse and rosie always had just like here's this talented little kid from fucking ohio um listen listen to her sing and she cute shouldn't she be the next danny um and maybe this fell out of fashion because american idol came on and we so had so much more fun watching like delusional weirdos or downtrodden waitresses try to become famous but we are not obsessed with like kid fame these days probably because it feels voyeuristic and you like it's hard to not feel guilty about it yeah, I think there's been a lot of cultural reckoning of like, even just like, maybe we shouldn't like make 12 year olds the center of the world. Maybe that kind of fucks with them a little bit. And we're all like, mm. and I mean, also like thinking about it, um, following kind of like the fall of like the pop girlies is, is how I'm defining them. <laughs> so, my big term, but we also had like the stuff about the two Corys start to come out and we had right. like such a like kind of um, look back at like, hmm, maybe like, let's like reconsider what happened with River Phoenix. Let's reconsider like all of these kind of young stars from the eighties going into the nineties that we were initially like, mm, what a mess. And then we're like, Oh, they had to deal with all of these issues. Okay. Maybe this is bad. Like you have a 12 year old and it's like, Oh, hi, you've just worked an 18 hour day. Now you're at a press event. You don't have your parents around you. You have no idea how to make adult decision. By the way, here's a plate full of cocaine. Yeah, no, exactly. Go, and someone's go nuts, kid. <laughs> and someone's going to ask you if you're a virgin. Yeah. So yeah. have fun. Um, yeah. you're welcome for fame. <laughs> oh my god. This might be the darkest episode we've done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at the center of this is Miss Brittany Jean Spears. And to this day, I can't believe that that's not a stage name. Like even when I was a kid, right. I thought like Britney Spears is a made-up name, right? <laughs> um like no one uses their real names anymore. And yet like Britney Spears and Taylor Swift, I will add, came out of the maternity ward with made to be a star names. Like it was in the stars. I, I can't argue with the fate of this. Yeah. <laughs> so as she did the aforementioned star search, Mickey Mouse Club, and she was originally scooped by Lou, Lou Pearlman to be part of a girl group, which was called Innocence. Um, spelled, yeah. spelled funny, but like, again, like this theme of innocence that keeps re-emerging in Britney's mus music when she was young. I'm like, oh, it was so obvious what we were doing. It's so <laughs> gross. Um, but this was the era of the girl group, um, you know, anchored by the Spice Girls and even like, remember All Saints? Brie remembers All Saints. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, no. That just like Wait. took me back. Oh, what? I no, I just I just accidentally attributed waterfalls in my head to them. That they obviously did not do waterfalls, but I can't remember. <laughs> oh, never ever. That's it is. Never ever have I ever felt yeah. so yeah. Mm -hmm. What a boring <laughs> song. No wonder I forgot it. <laughs> um but so the lack of solo female pop artists since the mid 80s was what caused Britney to be rejected by so many labels. Um, there was not a modern precedent for a teen <laughs> pop star akin to Tiffany or Debbie Gibson. And Jive Records took a chance on Britney because of her combination of vocal ability and marketability after she performed I Have Nothing. And, you know, 
I don't, I don't, people don't think of Britney as a powerhouse vocalist, especially now, but if you can perform, I have nothing as a teenager. Cause like I am a singer. It took until my mid twenties to re- have a fully mature voice. So if you can do that as a teenager, first of all, fuck you. You're more amazing than most people <laughs> on this planet will ever be. You are better than me. And I am jealous of you, but like, yeah, people really forget how incredibly talented she was when she was young. probably because a lot of her songs that she ended up doing kind of undersold her vocal ability a little bit. Yeah, no, um, I mean, yeah. think of all of us reacting to her, like posting on her Instagram of singing, her singing with her actual voice instead of the mm-hmm. kind of like baby like <laughs> voice that she had to do. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, it's also to uh, highly recommend if you're interested in this kind of stuff the the book The Song Machine by John Seabrook is a really fascinating look at like the development of these songs and kind of like what happened behind the scenes of all this stuff um, but another thing that Jive Records really liked about Britney is that she was younger and so she was a lot more malleable than um, a lot of other divas at the time specifically references like easier to deal with um, than like say Mariah or Whitney or uh, like a Celine and so it's because she had less agencies she was like 16 years old she's not gonna know what she needs to ask for from her employer and it it was just a it was a thing that always stuck with me of just like oh uh, uh, like you were happy to sign her because she wouldn't put up a fuss which is exactly what, um, again, bringing it back to Top Model, but Oliver Twixt has had a lot of the alumni from Top Model on his YouTube channel in the last couple of years. And one of the things they said is like, you know, first of all, yes, they had us on like so young because models have to be young, but also they liked that we were young because like we didn't have fully formed frontal lobes yet. We were more unpredictable and it was easier to control us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Britney actually recorded most of her debut album in Sweden with the collaboration of producers, including Max Martin. Uh, and <laughs> and one of my favorite Swedes, not, he's not William Nylander. Lovely. He's not, but he's, he's up there for me. If William yes. Nylander could produce maybe one more time, then maybe we could talk. <laughs> I'm actually just going to say William Nylander could produce baby one more time. Max Martin could not look that good next to Austin Matthews. That's true. That's very good point. <laughs> Stop talking about sports, Bree. Stop talking about sports. Um, so Baby One More Time became the fastest selling uh, single by a female artist in history. Uh, but around the same time, a young go-getting upstart named Christina Aguilera. Um, <laughs> she, um, I had no idea that she had actually um, like worked in Japan very briefly, um, but she had a similar childhood trajectory to Miss Britney Jean, and she got her big break after she was selected by Walt Disney Records to perform Re- Reflection. From for the movie Mulan, still my favorite Disney movie to this day. I listen to "I'll Make a Man Out of You" when I'm at the gym. Like I love that movie. A perfect film. Yeah. Um. And and reflection is the perfect like ending credits uh ballad. Like when was the last time Disney used an unknown artist to anchor a soundtrack like that, especially for such a good song? Mm -hmm. No, I I mean. 90s era Disney was also just like a whole new other world that we were dealing with. Yeah. Um, This has all been long forgotten. (laughs) So, uh, about to reveal like the trashiest show I have ever watched, but um, Ron Fair, famously of the Pussycat Dolls, present the search for the next doll. Um, And then we had Girlicious. (laughs) If you want uh, if you're ever watching top model and you're saying you know what this is a little bit too smart for me um, <laughs> <laughs> the pussycat dolls present you know what this is not quite exploiting women enough 
Sorry. Yeah, no, exactly. We need to find the next Pussycat doll and then we will create the next girl group, Girlicious. And oh. uh, we will. I wonder why girl groups died. <laughs> oh, um, so uh, Ron Fair did sign Christina Aguilera to RCA after that. She released Genie in a Bottle in 1989. Um, her debut album, like, I thought it was really interesting looking at the uh, reviews because it almost kind of the same thing like wow what a generational vocal talent but the overall composition of the album was not praised so i think it's fair to say like people remember her singles more than her whole album um i mean pop music was driven by singles back then so it's fine but um she was praised for her vocal range vocal maturity and quality and even i like i wasn't into either of them but i was again i was i was a singer and not a not a particularly strong one back then so i just remember thinking like she's amazing i'll never be like her christina's vocal abilities like again i'm not saying anything new and groundbreaking but were always like incredible like yeah. you you knew what you were getting with christina and every era of christina because even the dirty era christina you had like beautiful which was really giving and then i distinctly remember where i was when i heard candy man for the first time <laughs> oh see again this is one of those things like we experience it at different ages but like this was mid late high school for me and every fucking comp dance was <laughs> and because and, that was a weird musical stage too where everyone was pretending to be back in 1920s prohibition era christina yeah. aguilera was not the only person doing it no i vividly um, remember the music video being on like much music and my grandparents not really paying attention to the lyrics and my nan going oh that's so cute oh that's fun and meanwhile christina's just like make my cherry pop and i'm like please do not listen closer please do not listen closer also in that video um is benji i forgot that yes <laughs> oh you ever look at someone you're just like i'm so happy you came out that must have been a prison yeah. <laughs> uh, but christina aguilera minus 100 points for using the word panties in that uh song unironically i award you no points and may god have mercy on your soul <laughs> Also, I know um, audio medium, you guys didn't have to witness the horrifying thing that Liz just witnessed, which was me touching my eyeballs as I took out my contact lenses. And uh, <laughs> but my, I just like was trying to text my eyeballs. I didn't even clock it. I was just like, oh, Bria's glasses on now. Good for them. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes are drying out. Like, please, like, it's Valentine's. Happy Valentine's Day. You're home from work. But like, can you please bring me my glasses? Um, so, um. Yeah, I uh, will focus on what I can only call the other two. Um, but for what it's worth, like, you know, as a third child in my family, I'm often called the other one. So like, um, no, um, like Jessica Simpson and Mandy Moore are often named as like part of the teen pop diva movement, but they just did not have the same trajectories as Britney and Christina. They were they were very much the Supremes to their uh, uh, to to Britney and Christina. Um, I had no idea until I was doing my initial research that Jessica Simpson had an unreleased debut album because the Christian music label she was signed to went bankrupt, which like, I, oh, I feel bad for laughing because again, like these are teenagers. I'm not going to laugh at a teenager, but that's kind of funny. It is kind of, it's the, it's the like Christian music um, of it all. It's, it's fun to laugh at the Christian soft propaganda machine. And um, my turn to recommend, uh, you know, a leftist rethink your perspective podcast, uh, Citations Needed. Oh, this is more yes. about cinema, but they, they have a great episode about Christian cinema. Um, and I think it's, which... It's funny because A Walk to Remember, which we'll talk about soon, like follow, falls into more like the soft side of that. Mm. 
um, the, which, and a lot of Jessica Simpson's image would become basically soft Christian propaganda. Um, she, she didn't fully stay in the Christian genre after that, but her father was a Baptist minister and she was marketed based on her purity. She was notoriously covered up a lot, a lot more. Um, I don't think she was a dancer, like I, I which, I, cause I know her sister, Ashley Simpson was like a hardcore ballerina. Um, but I, do, I just don't, I think honestly, part of it, I, the cynic in me is probably like, I feel like that was a marketing thing, but it probably also was because like, oh my gosh, this girl's not trained in dance. She can't do choreography. Let's go with a, she's more pure than the others. No, exactly. That's, that's definitely like, uh, even from her memoir, that's definitely like what she thought was happening of just like, I don't, I can't give what Britney is giving in terms of like theatrics and stage presence and everything like that. And I don't have Christina's voice. Jessica Simpson has a lovely voice, but it's not Christina Aguilera. And so they're like, you're Christian, you're pure, let's go. And it's like, how is that a marketing strategy? <laughs> like, it's so gross to think about. <laughs> oh yeah, I know that she's not Mormon because she's from Texas, but she's got the Mormon teeth. Um, <laughs> like, where it's just like, you look at her and you're like, oh, like you are, you know how to smile. It's, it's you know what it is? It's pageanty. She mm -hmm. had a very pageanty quality about the way she was packaged that yeah. now that I look back feels very restricting. Um, so it was noted prolific slime ball, Tommy Matola, um, who like, I was looking, cause I always knew that name was associated with badness. Um, and is that Mariah Carey alleged that he was very abusive. He's also been accused of being a racist asshole. So, um, but he's somehow still out there working. Um, cause you know, what, <laughs> what does it take? Yeah, what does truly. it take? Um, by the way, if you're listening... I guess, first of all, if you're listening to this, you know, a month after we record it and John Tory is still mayor of Toronto, I will personally <laughs> give you my address so you can come and kick me in the box. Um, and secondly, oh. this is for posterity. Liz, if you've said this on your podcast, I'm sorry, but if by the time you're listening to this, if the Leafs have traded for Patrick Kane, I want you to come, come and bludgeon me with me. a teapot. <laughs> Speaking of people who I can't believe they still have careers. Put but my head in a box and deliver it to Brie. <laughs> Stop talking about sports. Stop talking about sports. Stop talking about sports. <laughs> I need a fucking shot caller. Um, no, so Tommy Mottola uh, managed to market her first successful album, Sweet Kisses, which again, that is so just like, I'm the pure one. Sweet icky. Kisses. It's just icky. If we can describe <laughs> it in one word, this is all icky. <laughs> How can something be virginal and icky at the same time? I don't know, but when you look at this movement, you just know that it's true. Exactly. Um, so uh, I thought this quote from a Columbia talent sketch was kind of laughable too, because it's like, unlike Britney and all of them, she can actually sing, which first of all, like, this is the first iteration of pop star and pop star violence in which like, they had to be comparing, constantly comparing these girls to one another. Like, can you imagine how much these girls hated that shit? But secondly, like, I know they didn't actually name check Christina in that statement, but when you say Britney and all of them, like Christina is definitely part of that. And you're implying that Christina Aguilera can't sing. Like, and not that Britney is a bad singer either, but no. holy shit. Like, let's be real here, you guys. <laughs> so finally, uh, or and Jessica Simpson, she she really never became more than a six-figure album seller, which I mean, um, you know, I don't mean to sound condescending, but I will say today, there's no such thing as a six-figure album seller. You are either like, you know, getting a couple streams a week on Spotify or you're Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Um so I, the one thing I'll say is that it kind of sucks that that mid range of pop stars is, is gone now. There's no mm -hmm. equivalent to a Jessica Simpson or a Mandy Moore now. 
No, absolutely not. Which is also just fascinating to think about. Like we've completely erased a whole group of artists. <laughs> it's a chasm. The music industry is a fucking chasm. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, Mandy, my girl, and you know, there's been a lot of uh, praise of Mandy on this podcast episode as of late. I personally think like my dream would be her redoing the candy music video. Like <laughs> the it's the spiky little hair hair tie and the like silky blue maxi skirt with a discman on her waist, but doing it in her Rebecca Pearson old age makeup. <laughs> I want to see it. I, I, I think it was. I might have been like showing my husband a clip from a walk to remember, and he goes, "Who is that?" She looks familiar. I'm like, "Oh, it's Mandy Moore," because he's he's seen. Oh, my husband actually really likes This Is Us. He's on Team Uncle Nicky. Um, but he goes, "Oh, right, she's not 70. <laughs> she does play 70 so well." Um. So she has perhaps the weirdest discovery story uh, in which she was allegedly overheard by a FedEx delivery man who had a friend who worked in in um, at, at Epic Records. So she signed with that label in 1999. She toured with both NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys that year. And the single Candy was released in late summer 1999. Again, I remember seeing the first week that this was on a uh, hit list. And I kind of liked it. I thought, um, I thought like, oh, this is catchy. And then I never thought about it again until I saw it in center stage in the jazz class scene. Like, and also that was her second major single was also on center stage. So I imagine this was formative to both our lives. Yeah, I mean, you can't dance without having to watch center stage at one point or oh, yeah. in your life. So <laughs> I. I do that warm-up routine to Candy with my intermediate jazz kids. It's a great warm-up. Um, so uh, on the song quality, I think Mandy actually had the best summary of what it's like to be a teen pop star and have them writing the scene for you. So she was quoted as saying, the record company was like, here are your songs. And I said, hi, I'm 14. I'll give, I'll do anything. These albums are why I'm here today, but goddamn, I should give a refund to anyone who bought my first record. Which, first off, Mandy, like, don't be so, don't be so hard on yourself, girl. But like... <laughs> I think it's amazingly self-reflective um, and it also makes me feel kind of bad because it's like, wow, my my failure is immortalized for, I won't say millions, hundreds of thousands of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like it, it is that concept of like, here, I will literally do anything, give me whatever you want. And then also like the aforementioned like Max Martin of it all, like you have a Swedish producer who is more focused on his melodic math that he has essentially come up with than the writing of lyrics. So like the whole idea is this idea of like simple lyrics that fit into the melody, the syllables align with the melody perfectly, does not matter what you're saying. Like you could literally be saying gibberish. There's an Ariana Grande song he produced and it's literally like, it's the wrong grammatical form of the word. And Ariana was like, isn't this wrong? And he's like, no, this is, this is how it works. Just do it. Just do it. And I mean, it worked. It's Max Martin. It works out. Um, So this is why you have baby one more time that don't necessarily make sense. Like there was a lot of confusion, like, especially when the song was kind of being sold around of like, is this about violence? Like why, why are we being hit? And Max Martin's like, yeah, hit them up, whatever. 
but no one really understood what was happening. Like John Seabrook, like, as I mentioned earlier, said like, everyone thought it was some sort of allusion to domestic violence or something. But what it really was, was the Swedes using English not correctly. What they really wanted to say was hit me up on the phone one more time or something. <laughs> but at that point, Max's English wasn't that great. So it came out sounding a little weird. And so you have this perfect pop machine <laughs> that creates the perfect pop songs because this also like the Backstreet Boys have songs from kind of like European producers as well. And it's like, doesn't really make sense, but it's a fucking jam. So what can you do? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, as, as I'm, I'm ordering off Amazon, my shock collar right now. Sorry. I'm going to talk about sports as we've learned just like from the last couple of weeks alone and the Leafs um, social media coordinators attempts to communicate with the Swedes. <laughs> it's a tricky, it's, it's, it's tricky to go from Swedish to English grammatically. Yeah. Like Timothy Lilligren worked with Max Martin. And in fact, with a name like Max Martin, he should probably be a Toronto Maple Leaf because you yeah, know how absolutely. much they love their double M's. Um, <laughs> So, um, and we mentioned this a little bit on um, when talking about Janet Jackson, we can't forget that these girls, extremely white musical acts, and while they were rising to fame, there wasn't a lot for teenage Black girls to relate to that was pushed out with quite the same mainstream efforts. Like, Brandy and Monica, they, I mean, they they were more in the R&B uh, space, and then there was Aaliyah, who was decidedly a hip-hop artist, and she died very young and had an incredibly tragic life. We just, just R.I.P. Aaliyah, your time on Earth, mm -hmm. I am very sorry about all of it. Um, mm -hmm. Like, the early aughts, in terms of what got mainstream push, it was basically these white girls and then Destiny Child. And, yeah. and which also, they were fucking, no one ever accounts that they were teenagers when they started out. Oh like, yeah, those, those were those were children. Uh, his parents got to work. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, no, exactly. And it's kind of like how we touched on before. Now there's there's just artists as opposed to before, where it was like these are pop artists, these are R and B artists, these are rap artists, and of course there's still like these obvious like kind of um, classification that happens, like when you think about like the Grammys and stuff like that, and how artists are taken seriously, but. Like you couldn't have like like a like a, a Nicki Minaj is kind of like a pop rap artist, say, mm -hmm. kind of thing. While during this time, if there was a Nicki Minaj or even like Aaliyah, she is a rap artist and that is it. And so she is not getting the same attention and not viewed the same way mm -hmm. as these other girls. Yeah. Um, so as as we're kind of getting into, I'll say, you know, sophomore and third album territory with a lot of the girls, this is the stage that I or the kind of the substage I like to call they're not little girls anymore. And not just because they were growing up, but also because this was the message that we could not forget. Like, and their sexuality was always played with and marketed from the start, but it was like in this saucy, like barely legal kind of way in which their youth and innocence, innocence was fetishized. That's why we literally got Britney dancing around in a Catholic school girl uniform. Although I'd read that that was her idea to- Yes, do I've that. heard that story as well. Which I think is kind of badass. Like you kind of just made history by going like, what if I go to the school call your inform? <laughs> and we I, all kind of feel weird about it, but still. <laughs> yes, I mean, um, have you ever seen the movie Hard Candy? I think like once or twice. It's like Elliot Page uh, psychologically torturing um, uh, guy from Watchmen. Um, <laughs> God, why did I forget his name? Phantom of the Opera. Um, okay yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, but uh, to quote Ellie Page in that movie, like if you're, if there's a teenager, you know, who wants to go back to your house and have screwdrivers, you take the alcohol out of your out of your hand. <laughs> you don't say yes and chase them to the next drink. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. Yes. It's like yeah, like maybe don't, Brittany. But also, that's what was being sold. So like they're yeah. like, yes, do it in a school guard uniform. <laughs> <laughs> we should listen to the sixteen year old. Um, yeah. I mean, we should listen to teenagers more, but not in this sense, perhaps. We shouldn't let them artistically direct certain things. No, um, exactly. uh, but yeah, so like Innocence is mentioned in so many of Britney's songs, um, but it like, so this was a really, this was still a growth stage, but in a different way. Like I was in the eighth grade when Dirty was released. And by the way, it's like, we mentioned Beautiful. Uh, Dirty is still a very hard song to sing. That's the thing I want people to understand because um, for the eighth grade, for my um, popular selection for our music festival, I chose beautiful. Everyone did beautiful that year. Um, mm -hmm. So we had the, um, my mom had the piano music book to that, um, to Christina's whole album, which first of all, imagine playing dirty on the piano. <laughs> like it's like the opening scene of scary movie two, where they're all like doing shake your ass. Watch yourself. <laughs> um, but no, dirty is actually an incredibly hard song to sing. Um, like, yeah, you have to kind of shout it and yeah. But like, it was, Dirty felt like designed for scandal. Like it was, cause it felt like one of the first like things like engagement bait, you know, designed mm -hmm. to make a scene. And she was 21 or 22 and that was really so like legally an adult, but like, I'm 33, I can't lie. The idea of like, I'm 21, I'm sexually liberated now. I'm gonna sing about how dirty I am is so hilarious to me because like, I was still so unsexy and unsure of sex at that age. Like, and and I was not a virgin. I was, I had a lot of sex, but like, I that was just such an unsexy time for me. What a it's giving Ariel, uh, it's giving Ariel and Little Mermaid being like, I'm not a good little girl, I'm not a child. And it's like, you're 16 years old, shut up. <laughs> it's. And like this was around the same era. Like I was just thinking about this recently because the Olsen turns twins turned 18 in 2005. And it was this weird, like people made so many jokes about can't wait people till the Olsen like, twins turned downs. 18. Mm. Ah, it's like it's now legal to have sex with me. And so like we have to change gears from you can never have this to you can't handle the me. Yeah, no. And I, I think it's also interesting to consider how many, specifically for Christina Aguilera, um, but you see this in a lot of other artists later on. I don't think, Britney never really had this kind of period, but like the I'm edgy, I'm an adult, and I'm like risque now was always partnered with like quote unquote black music. Mm -hmm. Like it's having Redman as like the feature on Dirty. It's the cornrow braids that she had oh going my god on. it's it's always that kind of like i'm now an adult and i'm risky and so i'm gonna sing more quote-unquote like r&b or rap and that kind of association with like this kind of music is bad well this kind of music is good even though you have britney spears in a catholic schoolgirl uniform singing hit me baby one more time mm -hmm. we're not like mm, yeah that makes sense it's like gross we're like oh my god rap in my Christina song. And so I think that's also going back to like why I think this this is such a white genre that mm -hmm. you it's just displayed even more in these kind of instances that you look back on and you're like, oh, God. So as this is happening, pretty much running parallel, there's I think um, another important thing to talk about is that this was also when their diversification started. Um, and it's it was it's important to remember and i wish i could just go back and tell like 14 year old me this because i was really <laughs> cynical about this but 
this was never not the case. A lot of classic actors and singers pursued avenues, had fragrant, like they had fragrances. Cher has a fucking Oscar because of that, you know? Mm -hmm. No, um, exactly. Yeah. But I do think an important differentiation, though, is the way the Hollywood machine and the manufacturing machine like was a lot more efficient at this point. Like it was a lot more cheap. So a movie like Crossroads and like I'll say and I've seen a few people try to retroactively like and I get it like it's the poptimism thing, like say like, oh, Crossroads is actually a really good movie. It was just really misunderstood. I'm like, you know, it's OK to say the Crossroads is bad. Yeah, it's, it, it's is, okay. it is. Like, but I think one of the things that really hindered it is it was made for cheap. It was made quickly. I think it was really limited by being rated PG-13 because you have to appeal to more viewers, but you're trying to incorporate elements about like sexual assault and pregnancy and miscarriage and, you know, your mom giving you an eating disorder and then hitting you for being skinny. Um, <laughs> parental abandonment. Like you can't possibly talk about this in, in a PG-13 movie while you're also trying to market Britney Spears as an actress, but she also has to sing in it. Like, mm -hmm. No, exactly. Like it's not all of the movies that we watched at sleepovers are good and that's okay. That's, yes. that's part of their charm. <laughs> Yeah, and I think like they knew that people would line up to Crossroads either because they were Britney fans or because they were going to hate watch it. That's what I did. I mean, hate watching is something that exists into our current society. So like it has been with us long and it will be with us like long after the aliens come down. <laughs> I think that's how, I, I, if you're listening to this and the aliens haven't come down yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think like we grossly underestimated as a kid how much hate watching played into the economics of business planning in this like they knew oh yeah yeah oh um so did you ever have a Britney fragrance no I never got one <laughs> um so I had tried Curious, I think, just as a sample at a drugstore, and um, it made me want to vomit. It still makes <laughs> me want to vomit. I think there are there's a demographic of people who like it. It's a bit of a young fragrance to me. Mm. Um, we also had dupes, dupes at the Dollarama where I worked. Um, but um, I actually loved Fantasy. I like spicy scents, and Fantasy mm. was great. I bought one for my mom as well. <laughs> she liked it. Um, but no, so... This is where I feel like there's a bit of a Jessica Simpson um, where her biggest like point of relevance is because she really pursued like the TV, the hosting. She was in a lot of movies. She did the designing. Frankly, she was much more commercially successful with that than with her music. And for a while, it felt like a special occasion that oh, Jessica's going back to music. Like she mm -hmm. had pretty much transitioned into becoming a full time entrepreneur. The reaction to newlyweds always made me feel really conflicted um, because I've, I've never been sure even to this day, how much did she and her team have control over her on image? Because I know the whole thing is that it portrayed her as very silly and dumb. And I think it, it worked for her in the, in the short term because everyone tuned in, but I sometimes think like it worked against her in the long run, but I've always wondered like, how much did she and her team want that? you know mm -hmm. the from the uh her memoir and like, like what you're wrong about talked about it, it it always just felt like she she was like I was just being authentically me like that's mm -hmm. just how I am like she is like proudly kind of like a ditzy Texas girl mm -hmm. and unfortunately we were in the era in which everyone pounced on that and tore her apart for it and was just like how dare you be dumb and blonde even though that's exactly what we're asking for from our media right now oh absolutely and and because the irony is like newlyweds was launched in part to promote her third album but the show became so much more popular than her music mm -hmm. so people did eat it up but it's like i feel like they liked just having people liked having someone to be better than 
That's yep. that's why all of these. That's why I loved the search for the next pussycat doll because I loved having all these women to be better than. Um, oh, exactly. That it, we are to our core a hater culture for better or for worse. And with recontextualization, we're like, ooh, what what shade of hater? Like misogynistic hater or like. <laughs> So um, the diversification also did kind of stick for Mandy Moore. I mean, she has continued to put out albums, but she's played in a lot of different genres since then. But she got decent reviews for A Walk to Remember and Saved. Have you ever seen Saved? That was a sleepover movie that I don't oh. really remember. <laughs> I love that movie. I love everything about it. Um, I love Macaulay Culkin in it. Um, and um, the only celebrity I've ever been told I look like that I kind of agree with is Jenna Malone. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because we both yeah. we both got significant chins. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I loved Mandy Moore in Saved. And then now she is a Golden Globe and Emmy nominated actress. Um, so, you know, don't have to go further into that. We have a whole episode on that. Um, she has gone back to music on a different scale, but she spent years at a time not signed to a label. Um, and, you know, I think I, I kind of like that she's like, yeah, not music's not for me right now. Yeah, acting's not for me right now. It's just like I I feel like she must have a really ideal life if she gets to be quiet and no one's bothering her. I was gonna say there's kind of like a a freedom in and she wasn't a flop, but like in not being a Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera, because she could step away and she mm -hmm. could be like, I'm gonna act and like people will take me seriously because I'm I'm not Britney Spears. Like mm -hmm kind of thing and and kind of consider what i want to do and no one is like no offense to the the more heads out there but like no one's like at, in 19 or 2000 being like where's the next album mandy and she can do these things like there is a freedom in that not being top of the world because then you can fall kind of thing like she like i think even less so than jessica simpson um people didn't project shit onto her you know mm -hmm. um, I mean, also i think it's notable that she is like the only one that kind of stayed brunette throughout of all of this sort of thing and so maybe that's part of it she did start out as a blonde which that I, is true yeah but yes. i i don't know i don't know if she's naturally brunette but um i just remember a walk to remember she had brown hair and it was just like wow a plain girl <laughs> she's she's more striking as a brunette i think um yes no absolutely so, it suits her but it, it it is interesting to think they're just like wow we were really really inundated with those blondes <laughs> oh absolutely and we'll talk about that as we get to ashley simpson as well <laughs> so we got the anti-britney um, so again, I feel like you've got to take some cues from Liz Fair, PJ Harvey, Alanis Morissette, but the thing, difference between, you know, Liz Fair and Alanis Morissette and these folks is they didn't have a Britney to rebel against. They weren't marketed as the anti-Madonna or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so the key players in this office, Avril Lavigne, Ashley Simpson, Kelly Osbourne, Phoebe Dobson, and then we get kind of the lower rent, like Sky Sweetenham. I also would say Michelle Branch and Vanessa Carlton, even though they weren't as like rockish, they were definitely put out like these are the girls with integrity you know they they, they were flashy play, they play their instruments that was like yes. always a big thing i remember <laughs> justice for harmonium by vanessa carlton it's her second album it was a huge flop but it was a fucking amazing album like, i will be honest with you i thought michelle branch and vanessa carlton were the same person for a not insignificant amount of my teen years <laughs> 
you are actually not the only one. And in fact, I remember like reading a few uh, quotes in like teen magazines about how they were sick of always being compared and mixed up. And especially Michelle Branch, she was like, for fuck's sakes, our music sounds completely different, which it kind of did. Like Michelle Branch was a little bit more like alt country and mm -hmm. Vanessa Carlton stuff, especially when I you mean, get past a thousand miles, like her stuff is kind of weird. I love mm -hmm. her stuff. I think it's interesting, even like amongst the anti-Britneys, there's still the like, no, there can only be one. There can only be one brown haired, edgy girl. I, like yeah. there can only be one. You guys battle it out. I don't care. And it's just like, I am being po poised to hate this other person so yeah. much. What if I liked both of them? No. What if? No. Oh, fuck. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I would say the biggest, uh, biggest releases of this, and it's funny because when you look at the, you know, VH1 divas and how much they sold, we're all, you're already seeing like a lessening of what constitutes a big album, but Let Go by Avril Lavigne, 16 million sold worldwide and Under My Skin, uh, her follow-up album was 10 million. I actually couldn't get numbers for Ashley Simpson's debut album. And I thought those things were public record, but I, I have to assume Joseph probably had a little those bit less. Sponged from the record. <laughs> he had a lot expunged from the records. I don't know why yeah. I'm making allegations about Joe Simpson, but um, <laughs> just doesn't seem doesn't seem right to me. No. Um, so I want to read a couple excerpts from this 2003 spin piece about how that was quote unquote the year of the anti-Britney. So he described these singers as too self-possessed to rock leather lingerie on stage, too cool to let Diane Warren write their ballads, and too sensitive to get sweaty with red man. You wish you were um, getting sweaty with red man, first of all. <laughs> still. Uh, uh, the emphasis on writing their own music is quite funny to me because I remember that being such a big deal, especially for me. Like, again, being a musician, like, now I see that Mandy Moore quote, I laugh even more because I think nowadays... The expectation is on artists to write their own songs or they're not true artists, which like you you can't be Elton John anymore. Elton John is probably one of the most successful solo acts of all time, but he famously didn't write his own lyrics. And like, you know, look at Taylor Swift and how like, you know, yes, people have criticized Midnight's. I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with the lyrics of Midnight's, but like look at the lyrics in You're on Your Own Kid or Mirrorball and we're like, oh yeah, vulnerability. But like I think of like, you know, well, again, when we think about how horrible their lives were and how unexposed they were and how developmentally stunted they were, what do we want these poor girls to have written about? No, exactly. It's it's this like double standard of we want vulnerability, but like you're not you you can't be a normal human being. So where are you going to get these feelings and vulnerability about? And it's also really funny to me because like when I look back on a lot of these albums like there is vulnerability there like I would argue that like Lucky by Britney Spears not written by her um I think written by Max Martin um but <laughs> a very if you think about it it's a very vulnerable song it's about a pop star who is not necessarily happy with her life even though she's so lucky and then you have Beautiful by Christina Aguilera, which sent shockwaves through gay children worldwide. And you Especially have Damien from Mean Girls. Ugh, we were all Damien. And um, you have even, like, we haven't really touched on, uh, like, kind of a later artist, but, like, Lindsay Lohan had her, like, um, father to daughter part two or whatever it was all oh about my God, her, like, yeah. awful relationship with her father. And it's like, no, but 
these songs aren't vulnerable enough for us or it's not the right kind of vulnerability because you're still a pop star like there was no winning for these girls because mm -hmm. they could never shed this like pop image even though artists that are so celebrated as being vulnerable were pink has max martin songs like <laughs> Oh, Pink. You know, I, it's funny because I should have put Pink is definitely part of this anti-Britney movement. And like, <laughs> she's like uh, her own category. <laughs> Do well, she, on the stage. <laughs> she was also like a little more hip hop in her initial releases. A Notably, little more, uh, no, we'll call it quote unquote urban. Yeah, she, uh, yeah. I saw a really great article for um, the other day uh, revisiting Pink's Black era, <laughs> which oh, is God. just like her first few records, she was urban and she had her head shaved and she was so edgy because she was participating in these hip hop stereotypes. Like, and it's a one another thing you look back on and you're just like, God. <laughs> so um, there, here's another great quote from that uh, spin piece. While Britney mourned a rough year by smoking too much, getting drunk and watching Jenna Jameson movies. By the way, Britney was 23, so perfectly allowed to get drunk. Um, Levine threw down Blink-182 riffs on her double platinum debut album, Let Go. I'm just going to say this, and this is me being too punk for you. If the most punk thing you can reference is Blink-182, go the fuck to bed, little kid. Um, <laughs> I rarely get like this. I am sorry, right? Like, I'm sorry. I was, I was more into, like, I, I read a lot of theater, Theodore Adorno, so. <laughs> also, like, um, if we want to yeah. talk about punk, shaving your head to mm -hmm. gain some control over your public image and how you are seen by the public and just some form of some, like, a semblance of control in your life, just going to a hairdresser's, grabbing the razors and shaving your head is, like, one of the most pop, or one of the most punk things you could do. Do people time. understand the cultural impact of women's hair? And like in so many cultures, the way we put value on women's hair and women's long hair, which I'm sorry, but there's a reason people are nicer to me now that I have long hair. Um, and also, Brittany's yeah. blonde locks were so much part of her image. And so just shaving that off so unceremoniously, because usually when celebs get a haircut, they're like debuted on the red carpet. And Brittany just said, fuck this. I don't want people touching me. I'm shaving my head. And it's just like, I'm so sorry, Avril, but like all of the like little punks that were listening to your music were actually eighth graders like me who just stole their dad's ties and were just like, mm, I'm a like, I'm a boy, like tomboy. And it's like, everyone just relax for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and like, you know, the anti-Britney movement and artists, like it's classified as some sort of punk rebellion, but like this quote is so puritanical. It's mm -hmm. so puritanical. And like, Avril's like, I like to scream. I like to break things. And like, but Britney's bad because at 23, she smokes and drinks. And like, even, and again, I like this song, but um, the lead single off her second album, uh, Don't Tell Me, that song is about like, I don't want to have sex with you. Like, I'm, I'm too good for that, which I mean, although you shouldn't have sex with someone who's pressuring you, you like but like, <laughs> yeah. But again, like, it's weird that we, we thought this was punk when this was an extremely like socially conservative thing, mm -hmm. you know? This was like the thing that you want your daughters to look up to, which was why Avril couldn't really be a real punk because she was marketed by the same fucking, like just a different side of the same coin and she had to be more marketable. And so Avril Levine couldn't do anything that was real, like real punk because she had to be marketed. No, exactly. Like as much as I like 
Avril Lavigne, and I think that her like "Let Go" is a perfect album. Um, really is. You you're part of the same machine. Like all of these mm -hmm. things are part of the same machine, and so kind of like as you were saying earlier you would not exist if it wasn't for the Britney Spears because the mm. reason they have money to put into these alternative artists is from their juggernauts like Britney Spears. And it it just it just feels so icky looking back and being it does. like you're just pitting these girls against each other and like creating them into things they're not. And again, they're like Britney, if Brit Britney's like overprotected, you could argue is a very like punky, rebellious song talking about how she's just so overprotective and everyone's mm. watching everything she does and telling her who to be. And it's like if you put that to a different melody, like that, that's like mm -hmm. a post pop punk banger. <laughs> And in terms of thematics, I would say, like, it's not quite on the level of, you know, Hurt by, jo like, Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt. But I think her cover of My Prerogative, I oh. ironically think, is one of the best covers ever because it's so recontextualized to, like, it. I'm sorry, that's so much more co powerful coming from Britney than Bobby Brown. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I love the Bobby Brown version, but, like, there's yeah. something to Britney's version that's just like, no, this is real. This is her life. Like, this that's is exactly what she was going through at the time. Mm hmm yeah um i will also say if you saw me trying hard to stifle laughter that's because there's something about me a 33 year old grown adult with a mortgage um that can't not laugh when i hear the word juggernaut because it just still sounds like a term for boobies um, <laughs> um but no so like and we could have easily called this the avril stage but i think like it's important to call it the anti-britney stage because like you said these singers would not exist without britney um and when avril Lavigne was first pursuing a music career and like I, I will again call it that she was from a middle-class non-connected family so good for her but like um my we had family friends who lived in Napanee and went to her high school around the time that her career was just starting to take off and she was pursuing country music originally the whole like I was punk who hang out like with the boys like that was definitely exaggerated like and added in as like later lore um but like if you listen to her early music complicated and i'm with you and don't tell me these have the beats of country more than punk and mm -hmm. like cultural studies geeking geek uh in me here is going to say that if you listen to like a lot of us and uk punk um they actually do have a lot of musical similarities particularly when you look at the drums and the rhythm section you could do um a cover of complicated that's country and it wouldn't sound that weird mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely um, but like again marketing someone like avril as a rebel in a punk was a great way to capture the demo that wasn't moved by britney or was moving away from britney because were there young people really into country on mass by then i lived in a country town and i don't think so no country wasn't cool like i vividly remember like my grandparents listened to country exclusively and the only country i would allow is their cd of like johnny johnny cash's greatest hits and shania mm -hmm. And so I yeah. had both those CDs memorized because we listened to it over and over. But yeah, no, it, it wasn't cool. But this this was cool. I am from Timmins. Like, yeah, I am from Shania. <laughs> we we erected a Shania Twain Museum. It then uh, got demolished and made into a mine pit. But um, the disrespect, <laughs> Timmins, because they yeah. PEI didn't do that to, do that shit to Anne Murray. They made sure that her muse museum succeeded. Um, but like if I think if you market Avril as a country singer, she flops. Um, Absolutely. Especially in that era. 
And these singers did need to be sexy in their own way and conform to certain expectations and beauty standards in order to reach young audience. Like I was a big fan of Alanis when I was little, but like most 10 year old girls weren't obsessed with Alanis. Like this was full on cigarette industry level of wanting to hook kids young. Um, so we're going to talk about Ashley Simpson, another big pioneer of the anti-Britney genre. And again, without the pop diva, she fails. And it wasn't just the nepotism angle. Like, yes, there was the nepotism angle. Um, but, um, and like you said, I think it was also, you know, her being pushed out because we got to support, got to support mom and dad, mm -hmm. you know, Joe needs, needs to make a paycheck. Um, but it was, it was that being Jessica Simpson's sister gave her a persona. She was the overlooked little edgy sister, um, you know, and can relate. Um, I thought it was interesting, like a real indication of the misogyny at the time, like that she, that her hair was dyed brown. She is a natural blonde, but blonde means you're stupid and feminine. Like for the earlier part of the career, they dry, they dyed her hair brown. Like, how are you gonna know that she's smarter and deeper than her blonde sister if she too is blonde? No, exactly. Like I remember, you and it's so funny because you would see pictures in the magazines of like the Simpson family prior to Ashley being packaged and sold out, and it's just like a blonde family, and then all of a sudden she shows up in the like Avril Lavigne fit. Like there was a very like specific uh, like uniform that they all wore, a lot of layered t-shirts and big old pants. And, and the terry cloth sweatbands on the wrist. Oh God, yeah, that just makes me itchy to think about. Um, and she has like brunette hair. And then it it's funny because Ashley Simpson, like Avril Lavigne has withstood the test of time due to an evolution and everything like that. But like the Ashley Simpson truly came jigging down <laughs> on SNL. Um, when really she got exposed for doing as something that every single artist does, lip syncing. She did. I feel and just... like on one hand, I will say to the death, like I, I don't believe for a second she had a horrible acid reflux. I don't believe for a second any of that. I also don't believe for a second that her um her nose nose job is there a is there a um polite term to use to refer to nose job no, i don't believe I don't for a so. second that it was because she had trouble sleeping i think <laughs> the problem though is that she is doing something that every single artist did every yeah, single no. artist like oh my god i can name so many artists with quote-unquote integrity who have lip synced because i'm like that sounds exactly like it does on the album and by the way I understand why people lip sync. Yeah, I was gonna say, this isn't like a Millie Vanilli situation in which they're like fully just like frauds that were set up by the record industry, but that is a rant for another day. Um, but like the practical like limitations of the human body when you are performing for a live audience, you lip sync. Rihanna mm -hmm. definitely had lip syncing happening in her performance and i'm glad she did because it was great and it if sounded I that, awesome if i were that pregnant and um singing live i would just be vomiting constantly yeah. i know she's not in the first trimester but i would still just be vomiting constantly no exactly like it is just it's part of the job it is part of yep. the job and it does not make anyone lesser or anything like that which was definitely part of the whole anti-britney thing is mm -hmm. like going back to like mm, i can play the guitar and it's like that's great awesome good for you yeah like I mean, so and even Avril every Levine white said, boy in my dorm. <laughs> even Avril Lavigne had said, like, in terms of like, she's like, no, I wasn't formally trained. I can't read music. I'm like, oh, so that like you just figured this out here. You're no more of an artist than Britney Spears, who did receive extensive musical training. Like, mm -hmm. um, but um, 
I I actually think it like the SNL. Um, I mean, the SNL incident for sure kind of ruined Ashley Simpson's career. Like she, I mean, she didn't disappear after that, but it was it was rough for her after. Um, I feel like it also just kind of undermined the anti-Britney movement as a whole, like because it was this exposure that these quote unquote serious artists were frankly just as artistically bankrupt, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they did start to pivot after even like Avril and Ashley and the Veronica's, like they went rat pop after that i mean we all oh. remember when avril came out with the blonde hair for girlfriend it shook us to our core but we persevered avril or quote unquote avril mm, true yeah. that's <laughs> that's an important part <laughs> um and you know pink started doing ballads after that michelle branch went more country vanessa carlton disappeared like um <laughs> but so let's talk about pink let's talk oh. about stupid girls liz oh. God, stupid girls is just something that I think like because it it was definitely a like watching much music countdowns constantly. Um, so I was constantly getting it fed into me. Also, I considered myself well. I mean, like I was, I am a smart person to an extent, kind of. You thing. are. Thank you. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, like I get what she's saying, but there was always a part of me that was just like what the fuck girl like it just felt like there's just always a part of me and i couldn't verbalize it like at the time and i think at the time like you're like still figuring out yourself so you're just like yeah no fuck the stupid girls i'm smart and cool and i am totally popular um but you might say you're not like other girls exactly um but it, there was always a part of it that just didn't sit with me. And it's just so incredibly harsh, I think, looking back. Like, it's something that I think did not age well. Like, oh, there's a lot of no. things that didn't age well. But especially the music video of Stupid Girls did not age well when we then consider everything we know about the music industry and what, like, Britney Spears has gone through and what a lot of these women went through at the hands of both the industry and society. And then also looking at it, their peers that were actively contributing to this. Like, this Mm -hmm. wasn't the record labels being, like, earlier, like, you know, Jessica Simpson has a better voice than the other ones. Like, this is the artist actively being like, fuck you guys. Yeah. I'm better. And what I found so interesting about Stupid Girls, and this kind of comes back to, like, my comment at the beginning of the podcast about how, like, I got told just for saying, like, I really, like, refused. Like, oh, you were not like other girls. And I'm like, hey, like, some of the expectations, some of these expectations placed on young girls to conform to certain, like, they're incredibly shitty. And Mm -hmm. so, like, like stupid girls there's something about it that is correct it's just that it blames the wrong party mm. in part because if you were to blame the party that is to blame entertainment executives and the music production machine that strips away the illusion of independence the shred of truth is stupid girls is that a lot of these starlets were shown to be little more than sex objects and beautiful women who didn't express opinions on important matters but where it becomes a problem is that it doesn't acknowledge that it's it's the record companies and the television production companies that did that. It's easy to criticize a pop star for having an opinion for not having an opinion on geopolitics or feminism, but it's much trickier when you like rose up through that same star system to criticize the fact that they were never given a voice. Did anyone have any interest in asking like Britney what she thought about anything other than her breasts or her virginity? No, why would you do that? Like why would why would you ask her? Also, we like, sure I, were interested in it. Like, I am very much like of the opinion of like 
I don't need Britney Spears to be like geopolitical genius and like have the the solution for how to unite the left on like certain matters kind of thing. Like you, it's almost like you're expecting too much of oh, these totally. girls. And especially at this time, like I think now we're in an age of like, no, I expect you to at least like recognize your privilege and I expect you to at least know what's happening in the world and I expect you to have a certain awareness because that is what we expect from artists now but also or anyone that is given a platform and I, I think that's really fair but also again we revisit like we revisit like these girls were like 14, 15, 16, we plucked them out of their normal lives. They are thrown into the capitalist machine and then we're mad at them because they aren't engaging in politics yeah that that's not part of their programming like that's not part of their like <laughs> i mean i it's i think you said like we should expect a singer or a performer to at least like you know recognize their privilege or something or not make totally tone deaf remarks but i feel like even still people expect far too much like the the phrase i've been using lately is taylor swift tell me how to feel about abortion like mm -hmm. you should have an opinion about this that mm -hmm. like did not come from your favorite pop star in mm -hmm. fact i would be worried if your opinion on abortion came from your favorite pop star no um, exactly yeah like I, I, I want artists and everyone to use their platform but at the same time like i I'm not looking to them for, like you said, my abortion opinion. Like I have my opinion and I don't need it from them. And I don't need to be lectured by another artist for like not getting that from another, like, like pink. Um, okay. Thanks pink. I, I don't need this. I'm, yeah. I'm 12. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's and just... that's the thing too. Like, who was stupid girls marketed to? It wasn't like the 30 year olds who were like, yeah, you know, I don't think Britney has waded into the W like George W. Bush. Like, I don't, I need to know what Britney Spears thinks about the war in Iraq. And like, no, it's like 13, 14 year old girls who are already having issues with their bodies and issues with being accepted in society and issues with self image and everything and pink making fun of eating disorders. Oh my God. And this was hard because I was, uh, you know, we've established not like other girls. Guess what I, guess what that didn't stop me from having an eating disorder. <laughs> what about like, everyone has? <laughs> yeah. Jesus fucking the Christ. Great and oh, and, oh and don't you know that this like and but it's weird the way we talked about eating disorders 20 years ago because like that was your sign that you were a superficial mean girl that you had an eating disorder no we shouldn't feel sorry for you you're a bad person and also like okay did you have oh, wait, we still kind of say that <laughs> we just did say you that have anorexia now. or bulimia which did you not eat or did you throw up there's only two options here there's oh. only two. <laughs> oh fuck! What was the eating disorder where I was just constantly running? Um, yeah, what's yeah. That, like? I'm just really healthy, quote unquote, eating disorder. <laughs> what is? I am just crying in front of the <laughs> every night. I gotta stop. I I have a sense of humor about it now, guys. Yeah, no, we're all fine. We're so you good. So so yeah, like. You, what audience are you projecting here to hear pink? Like girls with brown hair. <laughs> girls yeah. with brown hair no like and it also just made me think like you're you bringing up stupid girls in the note totally made me think of like first of all like the manufactured beefs of this now first of all as a vegan who loves beyond burgers i love manufactured beef but secondly um but in good job. good job um but like it's a good reminder for me because i sometimes get really cranky with the whole like women always need to support women which 
mainly because I find like it's used as a very blunt tool now to strike down like we're not allowed to criticize you know we're not allowed a, a female critic is not allowed to say that midnight's was mid because oh women need to support women or like it's used to like mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton deserves your uncritical praise yeah but uh, god damn I forget how much we did need women supporting women back in this mm -hmm. era um because there were so many manufactured beefs and like as we're coming around to like the era of the sanitized disney divas like lindsay lohan and hillary duff like i read that they recently have come out to say like yeah our whole feud was like not real like we never really talked to each other this was a thing the media played at so mm -hmm. um on the topic of the sanitized disney divas which like you know i'm, I'm gonna use this term more this was generation jelly bracelets um this is a safe option for parents to get their oh wait this might have just been more like kids my age was there a moral panic over jelly bracelets oh no yeah we had the je uh -huh. jelly bracelets is eternal jelly bracelets will never die <laughs> great there was also a moral panic over those terry cloth sweat wristbands when i was of course there uh, were of course they were no they all people... meant we were having deeply penetrative sex <laughs> Oh, no, it was because, um, or at least my mom read that it was to cover up self-harm scars. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Which I, I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to wear those. Um, <laughs> but because uh, I fell for the moral panics a little bit as a kid. Um, Why are like our generation so fucked up? Hmm, who's to say? Who's to say? to wear anything but a plain gray sweater, which is still how I dress every day. Um, but like, you know, these, so these were like the nice alternative. And also for the generation that like maybe missed Britney Spears a little bit, you know, I'd say even like people your age were probably perfect for it because by the time Hillary Duff started being marketed again, I felt way too old for it. I did like some of Lindsay Lohan's, like I loved her stuff that she did on the Freaky Friday soundtrack. Um, yeah. Oh man. Um, but even that used to like, they, they could only stay cute for so long, like Miley Cyrus and Lindsay Lohan, like Hillary Duff did stay untarnished, but she kind of had to disappear for a while. Mm -hmm. Like she mm -hmm. was the like, oh, like nothing interesting ever really happened with Hillary Duff. And now she's just like a semi successful, like nice mom. Yeah, no, exactly. Like it's very much it, I think it's the same thing. Uh, Hillary Duff, I think, um, is kind of like I think you could equate her to like the Mandy Moore of just like kind of next generation. It's almost like the older millennials versus younger millennials sort of thing. Like this is the younger millennial crop yeah. of um, Disney pop stars because I, again, I was definitely the demographic for this. Um, and so, yeah, I think Hilary Duff kind of would equate to the Mandy Moore of like having the freedom to kind of step back. And she wasn't like, I think like, Lynn, like the Lindsay Lohan, like especially, I think was someone who was definitely eaten up by the machine. Oh my god! Um, and definitely got like the brunt of it, kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, like no matter how pure you make these stars or how you market them, they're always going to have that turn because aging exists. Um, and the young pop star might want to smoke salvia <laughs> occasionally. Um, good Who old doesn't? Um, but you also have the release of the songs, like dramatic. Is your dog Ellie? You're not like other girls. <laughs> yeah, Ellie's like, shut up! I love Miley. Um, but you you had the turn of like 
Christina had dirty, Britney had my prerogative, Miley had can't be tamed. Like this is pre-bangers era, like can't be tamed shook people to their core. <laughs> Lindsay had like her rumors um, era with the like father to daughter. Um, Hillary Duff, like you said, kind of disappeared. And like, it's almost like you can't force people to be something forever that mm -hmm. they're not. Like you yeah. cannot force someone to be a teenager forever and they're eventually going to age and also like just quickly like thinking about the sexualization of Lindsay Lohan specifically because like with Britney Spears it was the outfits it was the dances it was the I'm a slave for you but Lindsay Lohan just ex existed with breasts and well and red hair because and, you know, how dare she have red hair like that people clearly like really fetishized in very creepy ways the amount of like headlines I saw uh -huh. about like carpet matching the drapes and everything oh. like that and it's like a you child. wonder why these people rebel and these people act out it's like you're pushing them you're just constantly pushing them to a breaking point and like of course they're gonna snap eventually and then as soon as they snap you turn on them a child <laughs> that's a child um child uh, yeah <laughs> we're both thinking the same thing right yeah okay um yeah on the topic of hillary duff and like you said not every um not every movie that we watched at a sleepover needs to you know was secretly brilliant um i again this is entirely because i was too old for it but i really don't understand this like cuckoo crazy reality i'm living in where people are pretending that a cinderella story was good no, um, no. Channing Tatum was just, or not Channing Tatum, Chad Michael Murray. Different CMs. Same, yeah. same font. <laughs> no, you know what? Channing Tatum actually rules, but it's since he stopped being like a transparent hot guy. And exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Chad Michael Murray is really hot. We had a lot of awakenings around that. Um, I didn't, but I wasn't as, the, the scale was more slanted toward girls for me. At this yeah, point. Fair. Yeah, um, yeah. But like even Jennifer Coolidge cannot save that movie. No. Um, but, but like um, it's one of those things that's like you need to you need to break the nostalgia from the like the the quality and quality does not equal like worth kind of yeah, thing and you people can still need to very much enjoy that but just stop trying to convince me that it was secretly yeah. good it's not um, like a secret feminist manifesto <laughs> no um that is also by the way very much a not like other girls movie because like she wears a baseball cap <laughs> how could chad michael murray ever like her she works at a diner um <laughs> That did give us the like, no, dad, I'm quitting your dream. And for that, we all have to be thankful. Well, that was just First City Blues, though. It was just. Oh, yeah, like, true. Well, it was yeah. First City Blues for us. Okay, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I was going to ask because no one remembers this movie, which I only really sought out because, again, I was a hate watcher. Um, have you ever heard of the Hillary Duff movie, Raise Your Voice? Yes. Sleepovers. Okay. When you talk about like, soft christian propaganda wow this movie um and i there are so many like um like rita wilson i'm like what and rebecca de mornay i'm like you surely had something better to be doing yeah, surely um <laughs> but oh my god like again like good thing hillary duff did kind of escape the machine for a while and just kind of lay low um i also forget that her sister was in napoleon dynamite which i that is a movie that i will say is secretly brilliant because oh, yeah, i think yeah. i think napoleon dynamite is a great meditation on loneliness um but um but that was Haley duff i keep thinking that it was hillary duff who played Su summer Wheatley. um oh, can you imagine oh. but so around the time when it was all starting to fall apart britney had her two 
remember a couple of years ago when people were starting to say, if Britney could make it through 2007, you could make it through this day. I'm like, you know what? Did Britney actually make it through 2007? It has the same energy as like Beyonce has the same number of hours in a day as you, because it's like, yeah, I have like severe depression and like a lot going on up here, but I am not Britney Spears. So yeah. <laughs> Oh, Brittany, poor Brittany. So um, around the time that, you know, she was going through deeply personal things. And I think I really did think it was over for Brittany. And now the one thing I'll say is I feel so naive because when she kind of made her comeback and did her Vegas residency and stuff, I was like, oh, good for Brittany. She's doing so well. I had no idea no. what was going on underneath that. Absolutely. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so all the while, as Britney starts her Vegas residency, we've got the the rise of recession pop. We got Beyonce. We've got Lady Gaga, Rihanna. I'd say CR is a bit of like a, a second tier player in there. Um, mm -hmm. I agree. Katy Perry, um, whom I never liked. Oh God, I God, I hated Katy Perry. She definitely someone that also could be classified, I think, like as a later anti Britney. Yes. Um, because she definitely like looking at her like early work was definitely more edgy and had those kind of like rock kind of undertones and very just like I'm it wasn't an I'm not like other girls that was she so, had a bit of like a sense of humor cheekiness but it wasn't it's like well I mean one of her albums I think is called like one of the boys or something like mm -hmm. that and that was the vibe the exact vibe she was giving off of just like yeah. hey, hey like I'm just one of the boys. Like I can yeah. laugh along with the boys. Ooh, I'm gonna kiss a girl and hope my boyfriend doesn't mind it. Which was a yeah. really <laughs> a moment Why in would, time. My boyfriend would definitely hate if I made out with a girl. <laughs> Ooh, I'm so edgy. And I mean, she's like it. It. She's definitely had. She has evolved, uh, and she has done her own thing. But uh, definitely that same kind of like we want that alternative girl. We want that kind of, which mm. I think also is kind of the, like the super like antithesis of the clean cut pop star is like Kesha, I suppose, like mm -hmm. the, the Kesha run we had and like. And she could have been among the Beyonce Lady Gaga class, if not for like Dr. Luke. I don't think we need to rehash that. No, I think we all are. The first it's... time I heard TikTok, I was, I remember exactly where I was actually, I was in Ottawa. Um, <laughs> I was at a party at, uh, at some friends place. Don't ask what part of Ottawa. I do not know, but it was this really nice, like Victorian era apartment Ooh. building with some friends from Timmins. And like, I hadn't planned on being there that weekend and my brother wouldn't let me crash at his place. So I was just like... Just like, hey, can I crash on your couch? Sure, but we're having a party with a bunch of people you went to the sixth grade with. And cool, awesome. Like, oh, all the girls who bullied me are here. But it turned out amazing. And in the middle of this party, I hear TikTok for the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this song rules. Like, it's who really is a this cultural moment. Like, going and, back to yeah. like, I was like aging with this TikTok and Beyonce, or TikTok, well, Kesha, Beyonce, Lady Gaga, all these four like kind of almost like mature artists because I think they were able to start later in life like Beyonce mm. has been doing this from the womb but like became solo artists and kind of like um came into themselves at kind of an older age so there was that kind of maturity to them was mm. just as I was entering high school so then of course you're like oh I'm mature I'm in high school and you're just like yeah wake up in the morning and like brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack had I ever drank Jack Daniels no but I thought that was cool I am. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, old crap, um, as we know. Um, just look <laughs> at who I'm married to. <laughs> um, 
Oh, I'm sorry, Jared. You actually do listen to these episodes. I love you so much. Happy Valentine's <laughs> Day, baby. Thanks for bringing me my glasses. Um, but uh, I have um, in my upstairs bathroom, I decided that I wanted to decant my mouthwash into this like really old carafe. Um, it's glass. It's beautiful. Um, and I use natural mouthwash. So it's like brown more than it more than clear and uh friends of the show helen and ruby were staying at my place a couple months ago <laughs> i think it was ruby who was like is that a bottle of whiskey <laughs> <laughs> i think it was i think it was ruby it might have been i just like i it was only then that it was oh i do look like i brush my teeth with a literal bottle of jack um well, you know, but so yeah mother foretold <laughs> so like and this has no actual relevance to anything, but I'm just going to put it on the record that the DJ Earworm 2009 United States of Pot mashup was the like pop music attaining perfection moment of my life. No, it absolutely changed my life for the better. Mm-hmm. Like I can still like I hear it in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, that like the the DJ Earworm and then the like pop anthology. Do you mm-hmm. remember those ones? Yeah, no, like I can hear them in my head. I did, a while ago, I was cleaning my apartment and I just found like a YouTube playlist of all of them. And I was singing along to the mashups. Mm-hmm. That's and exactly as they were mashed up. That's it. It was perfect. It's, it rewrote my memories of a lot of songs in my head. And even mm-hmm. like I hadn't heard the song The Climb by Miley Cyrus until like I'd only heard it in the context of that song. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that is a nice little song. Um, so this is also, you know, and I want to say like end of uni for me. Um, uh, and I can't remember, and I haven't even bothered looking up. What's the name of that band who did the song? I'm glad you came. The Wanted. Huh? Thank you. <laughs> they were UK, right? Yes, they were. I I will not go on my one D versus the Wanted little tangent because I know that we've been. I know for that a while. I'm wading into territory here because we're talking about the return of boy bands, and we have noted boy band expert Liz on here. <laughs> Um, I would definitely recommend that if anyone is interested in the history of boy bands from literally like New Kids on the Block um, to now like BTS and everything, there's an awesome book um, called Larger Than Life, uh, A History of Boy Bands from New Kids on the Block to BTS by Maria Sherman, which is just like a perfect overview of this era and how it's changed and evolved and grown similarly to how we are kind of going over the pop divas and how they've evolved and everything like that so highly recommend that i just wanted to say (laughs) yeah um i'll my like brush with this is that at the time that like 1d was um starting to be marketed and then the wanted was coming out which by the way that song glad you came like i was doing a lot of auditions for like commercial dance jobs and commercial jobs at the time and that was every audition song because it is your perfect five six that's your tempo baby um Mm -hmm. But uh, no, one of my high school friends, Brandon, was in a Canadian boy band that was like a wannabe One Direction. It was like, they're a boy band, but they play their own instruments. Uh, they were called Neverest. And um, he's talked a little bit about how it was like really, really difficult, like financially. Like they were just kind of given like pretty small stipends. He had to like not be public about his relationship. And he's been dating his girlfriend like for like 15 years now. And I'm like, oh, that's they have like... to be attainable. They have to be the dream. Oh. They have to be. I can look at the poster on my wall and be like, I'm imagining my life with Nick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and he, this guy, like, he was a metalhead in high school. He had long, beautiful hair, and he, for the year or so that he was part of this, he was Mr. Clean Cut, short hair, nice sweaters. It was weird, but mm-hmm. yeah, like, so we have like, and I know he's not a boy band, but Justin Bieber was part of this stage, and it was like 
a response to the tennis years where the, most of the male male driven music we had was in like the pop rock or alt rock genre. And so now we've got like the Beebs and Wonder and New Kids on the Block and Backstreet Boys were touring again. Sean Mendes, like boy pop was back. Mm -hmm. It almost felt like a response to the kind of decline in like girl pop, like specifically the bubblegum pop girlies. Um, to kind of fill that void and be like, I don't know, we need something. Here we go. Um, and it's also really interesting to think about like kind of the course correct that the manufactured boy band was kind of going through during this era. Because when you think of like Backstreet Boys, New Kids on the Block, um, though like 90s era boy bands, they were very like uniform. They were wearing a specific uniform. They had very, very defined roles kind of thing, um, matching outfits, dance routines and we were escaping this because we had like say Justin Bieber he danced and everything like that but he was also I mean not a boy band and so he could be kind of whoever he wanted Jonas yeah, Brothers he was a musician you know like exactly yeah. he got his start on YouTube it was more kind of organic sort of thing uh, Jonas Brothers played their own instruments that was like the big push of the Jonas Brothers also really the purity of it all to return to that uh, lest we forget the purity rings. Um, and then also like One Direction, very much kind of escaping that mold. And <laughs> I love it. I put a note in here uh, about the best song ever music video, which I, I know some of you know what I'm talking about, but Bree does not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I have only heard a couple um, One Direction songs and I'll just say they seem like fine ads. They seem I like cannot ads. wait when I get to take over Peak Show and explain to Brie the peak of One Direction. Um, <laughs> but specifically in the best song ever music video, uh, the guys dress up as different characters. And so specifically you have the two like music producers at the beginning being like, you guys are the biggest boy band on the planet. We're gonna make you bigger for this next album. This is what we're gonna do. We're bringing in the choreographer. We're bringing in the the different outfits. And they're like, oh my God, we'll never do that. Like kind of playing with that idea of like what the boy band is supposed to be versus like these guys that can't dance and yeah. I think that I was think also a push against the like bubblegum pop girls of like that had their choreography mm -hmm. and everything like that how dare you be multifaceted multi-talented <laughs> um how dare I you? think I think also um when you mentioned that it makes me think maybe that's <laughs> why um some of those uh boy band players like you know uh, Harry Styles, well, everyone from One Direction, uh, but especially Harry Styles and like Joe Jonas and stuff, why they've been able to transition into solo careers much easier mm -hmm. than like even like no one besides Justin Timberlake was able to do that. And um, even if you think about Justin Timberlake, it's because he did the quote unquote urban music. Like he yeah. completely shed the boy band image because he did the like, ooh, edgy mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, so and like I loved like when you were on our season two finale, like comparing um Harry Styles' latest album to Peter Gabriel. I get so sick of people comparing Harry Styles to David Bowie because I love David Bowie. I like Harry Styles, but like <laughs> they're they're so different. Like, no, you just mean he wears dresses sometimes. No, exactly. That's all like you know about David Bowie. Exactly. Like I, I don't think that that comparison is accurate when you look at the music that they're putting out, which is why I think Peter Gabriel and that kind of synthy 80s sound is a lot closer to what he put out on his last album but <laughs> I digress <laughs> there is, yeah I will say and I'm gonna cut this out of the recording but there is one Harry Styles song that I would compare to a David Bowie song and even Jared my crazy David Bowie loving husband agrees and that is treat people with kindness yeah, that sounds no. like a David Bowie song to me I could but. hear David Bowie like 80s David Bowie cocaine David Bowie just like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really going at her it's all cocaine. <laughs> so 
what we are now in the era of, as we talk about Harry Styles, is um, as we mentioned before, we're into like mega stars and everyone else, and mm-hmm. then like, and in that chasm, there's the an increasingly temporary like influencer pop is kind mm-hmm. of in that middle ground now, and even like two years ago, everyone was talking about Olivia Rodrigo. Even she's kind of like. It's, it's like we've accepted that these are extremely temporary careers and it's so interesting because we almost put that on them of like where's the next album where's the next album and it's like that's not a healthy like to jump back to one direction like they put out five albums in five or yeah five albums in five years that's that's not good that's not that's not good for a person to do it's good for money it's good for the industry it's good for those things but like that's not healthy but the way that we have been kind of shaped by like no this is how you do it this is you you put out albums like every year or two so you have olivia rodrigo who hasn't put anything out recently and everyone's like oh she's gone i miss her and it's like no let her live yeah (laughs) But no, like, it, it's basically like if you're not Taylor Swift or Adele or Justin Bieber, it's like half of these indies and mid-tiers, like, still have to have second jobs. Like, mm-hmm. that's, we talk a lot about that, like, I mean, it's largely driven by media consolidation. I'd say if you want a better breakdown of that, our season one episode on um, on Canadian indie music. Um, but the other thing that is more recent in memory is the Free Britney movement, which, like, again, it's really hard to not go off on a tangent about this. Like, um, first of all, I will say that Part of this also coincides with the recent exposure of the troubled teen industry. I have a lot of calls with Paris Hilton. Like, I don't think she's a good person. You know, mm-hmm. she's still very much a billionaire Republican. But um, but what she's done to expose the ways in which we tried to control and basically institutionalize young girls through the troubled teen industry, like, I can't not credit her for that. And I think the reason I always think of the Free Britney movement and the troubled teen industry as related is because it shows how much of that era was about the controlling of young women and girls. So Britney had been under her conservatorship essentially since her very public breakdown. And the, you know, she has since been freed from her conservatorship. And some of the reactions that people are having to her more recent behavior, then including like getting like getting wellness checked because people are were mad that she deleted her Instagram. Like I'll say it's a good thing that Britney Spears is a wealthy white woman because getting wellness checked is a legitimate fucking public like public health risk getting no, wellness checked mm-hmm. um but like the way people are acting like disappointed in britney or concerned about her i want to make one thing clear and if you're listening to this like i legitimately hope you take a lesson away from this the point of the free britney movement wasn't conservatorship is bad because britney is too healthy for conservatorship it was conservatorship is inherently bad mm-hmm. it does and it is used to abuse people and it is used to abuse people, frankly, who are a lot less high profile and, and wealthy than Britney Spears. I mean, no one ever talks about the conservatorship of Michelle Nichols from Star mm-hmm. Trek. Yeah, um, and even about. with Kanye West, people are saying, oh, should he be put under conservatorship? And it's like, you know what? Conservatorship is not a punishment for acting like a jackass. Yeah. There, are, If you look at the way disabled people do not have access to their own money, they are not allowed to make their financial decisions. That's all people were saying about Britney Spears. No one is saying she is perfectly mentally healthy. I think mm-hmm. Britney Spears has a lot of things that are going to be wrong with her in the long term, but it's her business. Mm-hmm. And what she does with her money and her housing and everything is her business. No, exactly. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to watch like kind of the ripples from the Free Britney kind of movement because there was such this dedicated push by like loyal fans and how we are once again 
both us as a public and also the media are once again just falling back into the cycle of well should she be doing this like i don't know like i don't like this decision that she's making yes i understand she's free now and she can do what she wants but like why is she doing that like why is she posting these things why isn't she writing new music why isn't oh she doing God. this and it's like Britney should not have to lift a finger for the rest of her life. Like you guys should be blessed to see her ever kind of thing yeah. with what she's gone through. And like I said, this is happening in the media as well. It's going, but it's, it's not to the level it was at the peak of horrible Perez Hilton drawing. At the what? But we are once again, criticizing and wanting to control these stars who are full 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 adults now mm -hmm. like britney spears is absolutely like at least in her 40s and is a grown woman and can make her own things choices decisions whether you like them or not but we have been essentially just like groomed to want to control these women so much that it, we just almost fall back into lockstep of it. And I really think that like a lot of the people who've been able to escape this, like Christina Aguilera does not do a lot of public stuff. Like she was on The Voice for a while and she puts out an album every once in a while kind of thing. But like, I don't, she's not necessarily like a figure like no. she was when she was young. And I think that is because of what she went through when she was young, even like you see artists like Beyonce doing this as well. Like they do not exist unless they are in promotion time yeah. because that is just like how deeply our society continues to want to control these women. And also I think put them back into what they were. I mm. think that there's a lot of like this person to us will always be like, in like Britney Spears will always be in the uh red jumpsuit for mm -hmm. like the oops I did it again video and it's like no that's that's not that's not her anymore well that's like, why Kelly Clarkson is able to just be like a nice happy lady with a talk show now who's fun because we didn't know Kelly Clarkson when she was a teenager exactly you know? like I think it's 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 so interesting to go back over like the history of this and realize that like a lot of people just want they say that they want their favorite artists to evolve and to do this and have the freedom to do all these things but they, they just want the this particular artist that released the album they like back they yeah. they don't want to see actual growth of these women and they're they're contributing to it as much as everyone else was at the like peak yeah, of the like most horrific media coverage that we have ever created <laughs> i think that the, the concluding line i would use is some of you people are forgetting why britney shaved her head yeah no exactly yeah. all right think, so, oh sorry liz go ahead oh no i just wanted to really quickly say i think that um i think that we've discussed this like poptimism is also something that has come in through like this kind of free britney move but like it was it existed prior but also just like this reconsideration of this pop music which i think also makes because it, it kind of legitimizes pop music as like a, a genre that deserves critique and is an artistic form and so it's almost like through the creation of poptimism people have like realized that like hey pop artists are people too 
Mm -hmm. And so we kind of start to rethink of like, oh yeah, maybe like I shouldn't shit on a 16 year old for singing about how much she wants candy. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? And I think that's part of also just like, there's so much hindsight in this conversation. All right, so we're gonna just lightning through the lightning round. And as much as I'm not in favor of pitting women against one another, <laughs> that's exactly what we're doing in this <laughs> lightning round. So Liz, baby one more time or genie in a bottle? Baby one more time. Obviously, I know genie in a bottle beat for beats. I think it's more danceable and I loved the video. I think the video was very like cool on a beach. There's fire. Um, okay. Crossroads or a walk to remember? Uh, a walk to remember. I watched that one so many more times. I have rewatched it so many times. I've heard like Daryl Hannah is in that movie. Like that's, that's a, it was, it had me by the throat. I did not understand the Nicholas Sparks machine back then. Oh, we weren't ready. We were not ready for what was no. coming for us. <laughs> I I gotta say, I really like this recent remake of The Notebook starring yeah. two boys that I love. Um, <laughs> what is more memorable, Britney and Banana the Snake or the Britney Madonna kiss? Uh, justice for Banana. I'm so sorry for disrespecting you, my queen. Um, but the Madonna kiss was truly earth shattering to me. I can't believe I didn't mention that in my notes. Uh, like, it, it was just the combination of just like baby bisexual, obsessed with Britney Spears, um, the like cultural context of like the greatest pop star of our time versus like the greatest pop star of like my parents' generation. Christina just there. Um, the Stop, the little one's not getting any. <laughs> the cut shot to Justin Timberlake in the audience that will live with me forever with, I can't remember who is behind him, but someone is behind him just going, oh my God. <laughs> like we don't me. get award show moments like that anymore. And I just, oh, yeah. what a true, it was, I remember where I was for the Kanye interrupting Taylor. I remember where I was for like a lot of awards moments, but that one, it was like my first. Yeah. I remember where I was. <laughs> um, I'll say same, everything Liz said, but also on top of baby bisexual, add in afraid of snakes. Um, <laughs> okay. So on that note, what is the better co collaboration, Britney and Madonna or Britney and Will I Am? Okay. I have to go like, Britney and Madonna is iconic, but for like a personal level of like personal nostalgia, Britney and Will I Am was like the soundtrack to getting ready to go out in first year yeah. university. I remember like my friends would like hit the playlist and it wouldn't shuffle. And so Scream and Shout was like always the first song. And her like weird little Russian accent that was almost like an evocation of Madonna's like weird British accent for yeah. a while. Oh. Oh, it's perfect. I oh, I love it. Britney I would just feature on songs for the rest of her life and I would be thrilled. I think I'm agreeing with you on pretty much all of these, except for the first question. I agree. And I also think um, Me Against the Music, which um, was my 14-year-old hip-hop line, um, <laughs> I wore a shiny newsboy cap in it. Um, but um, I think, I feel like Me Against the Music was a little bit like 2004 was when we were starting to move away from the diva mega pop and stuff. Um, whereas Scream and Shout was very of its moments. Like it was mm -hmm. back in like the recession pop Britney resurgence era. And very I just think- EDM, like- and, Yeah. And it was also like when Britney started being able to swear because <sighs> like Britney bitch became like a thing after that. Oh, it changed my life. 
All right, <laughs> reflection or I turn to you. Uh, reflection. Uh, reflect. Uh, reflection. Yeah. I um, I'll take I turn to you, and I think it's. Just, it's got such a beautiful, comfortable chorus. Um, the funny thing is that would have been like every every singer, every musical theater performer has their go-to audition song. That I always wanted to be my audition song. And I can sing the chorus of that really, really nicely, but you can't sing I Turn To You without singing the bridge. And that note in the bridge is, I couldn't, I couldn't hit it now as an adult. I definitely couldn't hit it as a teenager. So sorry, I'm gonna stick with there are worse things I could do for my audition song. Um, but yeah, I think I turn to you is just such an impressive song. All right, so and the Britney side, circus or my prerogative? Ooh, I mean, I, I my prerogative gives me such deep emotions. Like mm -hmm. it is, it is such an angry song almost to its core. It is very I, assertive, yeah. Mm -hmm, which I. I I feel like I really connect with, like I, I kind of rediscovered it at a time where I was feeling a lot of like anger and like self-assertion and stuff like that. Um, but so I, I have to say my prerogative, but I will give Circus a shout out because what a return yes. to like, and hindsight, she was not in a great place there, but what a return. Like yes. no one has done it like that since. <laughs> Yeah, I think my prerogative is a stronger overall song. What I will say is that I love the chorus. Um, I love the chorus of Circus a lot. Um, it's I just think the whole song gets a little lost. Um, mm. Like I don't remember. I remember the opening line of Circus, and then I remember the chorus, and that's kind of it. <laughs> yes. um, so, who was your favorite anti Britney? Uh, I have to say Avril. Like she came to like a boom when I was like I think I want to say grade eight and like I said everyone in my school was wearing their dad's ties um <laughs> and she just took especially because the can con of it all we just got non-stop Avril on the radio because she was Canadian content get that like 80 percent or whatever they want on radio stations like and I think it was just like cool that she was Canadian too like th that was part of it. You were like, oh my god, yeah. Um, and like I said, like I've revisited Let It Let Go um, recently, and, and it's a really good album. It's like a perfect angsty teen album that's not like too angsty. Like it's not getting into like My Chemical Romance, but like angsty enough. I um, I won't go as far as to say Let Go is a perfect album for me, but I do think I'm with you is like a perfect song. Um, I really love I'm With You. Um, I feel like a couple of years ago when everyone started just like posting clips from the music video and just like, man, like she was really in on it. I'm like, yeah, she was. But <laughs> I do think my favorite anti-Britney, I always got to go with like an underdog. Um, I will say Sky Sweetnam. She was definitely a one album wonder. Um, she's, uh, she's a Hamilton girl and you know, I love Hamilton. Um, and she also was very much the real deal because she is the front woman of like a thrash metal band now called Sumo Psycho. Um, oh. And yeah, and she is, she's just really cool on social media. She's very open about her life. She also on her debut album, which like her lead sing single of that Billy S again, it was a little too brat pop for me at the time, but she had a really good cover of Blondie's Heart of Glass, which is a very, very hard song to cover. So um, she's got the chops and she just seems like a cool chick. Um, all right. So what is the better Very Mean song? Cry Me a River or Stupid Girls? Um, can I uh, say one off the board? Um, yes. What comes around goes around by <laughs> Justin Timberlake. 
I, uh, if I have to choose on God. the board, Crimea River, uh, mm -hmm. that the Timberland production just chef's kiss. Um, it's but a good song. I hate it to is say a very it. good song. And yeah. yeah, what comes around goes around. It was really shook me. <laughs> yeah. No, Stupid Girls. That's we didn't talk enough about this. Stupid Girls is also not a good song. No, like, it's, it's 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 whiny. I want to like it is it is a whiny song. <laughs> it's and and it doesn't show. Pink is a very very yeah. Good I want to like, say like glad she's into ballads now. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad she's into ballads now, and she's found that beautiful lower register that like. Mm -hmm. Um, and but Stupid Girls doesn't show that. It doesn't show, no. show how good she is. No, yes, I, yeah. yes. I just want to put on the record that I'm not a pink hater. Um, don't let me be misunderstood. Uh, really great, really great record. Yes. Um, but fuck you for stupid girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, so onto the Disney divas, um, Freaky Friday or a Cinderella story? Oh, I okay. I know we just said it's not a good movie, but um, Cinderella story because when um, oh, that song hits when they're uh, they're slow dancing the i will by like edwin i'll McKin. be i'll be i'll be i'll be i knew it was one of those. that's one of my warm-up songs with my inter jazz <laughs> that struck a chord with me that i did not know music could <laughs> i'm just like sobbing to the song and like at a point in my life, I was like watching that at a sleepover. I think also because it was quintessential sleepover movie, so very nostalgic to me. But also, like, I'm gonna dance to this at my wedding. <laughs> I mean, I just look back at that. I'm like, this was an extremely high budget school homecoming. Like, right? <laughs> I, this is not an indictment of the public school system in America. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had my prom in a gym. Um, so um i am on team freaky friday and the thing is i don't even enjoy enjoy freaky friday ironically i unironically love that movie it is um, a good movie the music in it is fantastic oh i have to say a cinderella story had a lot of restraint for not having hillary duff sing but um whereas freaky friday did try to shoehorn in Lindsay lohan singing really good music i think the like jamie lee curtis does beat out an underused Jennifer Coolidge any day. Also, mm. you know, budding bisexual Brie, like the rare men that she did have a crush on were all like weird old men. I loved Mark Harmon when I was, I'm just like, and <laughs> oh, then yeah, after I had, that, like, ooh, after especially that like, movie, I would come into the basement like, hey dad, are oh, you watching NCIS? I'm gonna watch with you. I was about to say my grandparents loved NCIS and I was just like, oh, Mark Harmon, okay. <laughs> This is also, I, I always laugh because our age difference, not that great, but I think we've determined before that my parents are much older than your parents. And so yes. like you talk about things that your grandparents are into and those are things <laughs> that my parents are into. Yeah, All right. exactly. Poker face or single ladies? Oh, oh. I know. Sadistic That's choice. hard. Yeah, truly. Um, I think I have to go... Uh, poker face i think i have to go poker face <laughs> i love single ladies and i love what came like from mm -hmm. single ladies kind yeah. of thing but there's just something like i hear the like ma, 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 and i just something <laughs> lights up in me like it takes me back to such a specific time and it's also just so wild to think about like lady gaga in that moment just like we were all just like oh who's this like girl that's like a works with Akon and like I don't know she's kind of weird but like what's happened like what was to come kind mm. of thing 
So if this were just dance versus single ladies, I would take just dance any day because mm. I'm one of the rare people who thinks that just dance was the better song. Um, I know that everyone else feels poker face is iconic, which is why I had to consider this one. Um, but so for me, much like you and poker face, like single ladies is a big thing. Like I remember where I was the first time I heard it. I remember where I was the first time I saw the video and like, Oh God, like you can't hear it and not start doing that dance. What perfect choreography everything about it um but that said i totally agree that poker face you know permanently in my in my brain also i don't know if we mentioned this on our parks and rec episode but unfortunately when i hear poker face i do hear amy poehler like shout singing it at the gay bar in that scene like that's my <laughs> I mean, positive association with it that is what we all should aspire to when we hear poker face just like drunk at a bar a gay bar wherever just being like like that's its purest yeah. form <laughs> all right so i don't have the same like trio of questions i normally ask about the peak but i think we should just kind of really poke at it so what is the peak moment or year or era of the millennial pop diva to you i think i was thinking about this and it's so difficult to pinpoint so i was i was thinking kind of like from like a personal perspective and i think it was 2003 and the release of toxic specifically um because i think that i like i will argue that that is like that's one of my i will argue that that is one of the greatest pop songs kind of ever released and it was, yeah the the music video was it just everywhere i think that britney was kind of at the peak of her powers i think that that was kind of like just before kind of everything started to go to shit and it, it was just such a like reflection of i think that music as well because it is like a fun song it's a good song like it i i think it's a perfect pop song but it's also like it's not super deep it's not telling me like anything it's, it's not vulnerable like it's just it's very like no worries pop girl doing the damn thing and yeah. yeah slip slip sliding around i can't believe how close we are in this so i put it at 2004 and i feel like 2004 is such a convergence of like um we were really living in the pop divas world and because this was a little bit of everything first of all that was the year of that britney madonna kiss mm. um i remember like and i <laughs> I wasn't watching uh, live because I don't know. I wasn't like other girls. I was probably watching the, the Simpsons or something. Um, and it was the next day at school. Everyone was like, did you hear Brittany and Madonna kiss last night? <laughs> um, and like, we had Madonna producing new music. We had, um, you know, Brittany just coming off some massive, massive singles, but we also had Avril Lavigne, you know, going into the studio for her second album. We had Ashley Simpson's debut album. 2004 was also fall. 2004 was also the SNL incidents. Um, we had, we were starting to see the debut of, uh, Lindsay Lohan. That was when Mean Girls came out. Um, that was the year after the Lizzie McGuire movie. And so we were really in, um, just this big intersection of moments in teen pop. And I think, like you said, this was kind of right before the Jenga block fell, that mm -hmm. kind of the, and that, and it tumbled in a way that wouldn't be rebuilt really until the recession pop movement after and this. even then like it was it was rebuilt differently like it was mm -hmm. it was a completely different structure with the same pieces mm -hmm. 
I think overall for me, like re-exploring this has given me some insight into like the highs. And like you said, I have no issue with the idea of like looking back and relitigating pop music. Um, I'd never heard the term optimism actually until you wrote it in your notes, but I was like, <laughs> oh, that is the best way to describe that. Yeah, no, I, I really like it. Like there's obvious critiques with it because like, you know, mm -hmm. some stuff is released as, as subpar, but like, I think it's such a really great way to kind of, even if we go back to the anti-Britney kind of movement, it's like, no, just because it's not vulnerable or acoustic or those kind of like more authentic labels we give to like rock music, like it's still, it's still good. It's still important. Mm -hmm. For me, uh, it's also like, I know I said at the very beginning, it's looking back and asking, how do you in how do you reconcile how much you enjoyed this as a kid? I think I maybe have a different experience and different perspective because I didn't personally enjoy this mm -hmm. as a kid. Um, if anything, my look back is a bit of like, again, realizing I was correct for the wrong reasons. I was correct in thinking it was weird how much they were sexualized, but I was really incorrect for saying like, damn that Brittany, she's mm -hmm. such a slut. Yeah. you know like because mm -hmm. that's how i was because i was an mm -hmm. asshole kid um but like i think for me going back and looking at it has made me realize first of all like whether or not you like it whether or not you liked it at the time whether or not you like it now holy shit do not be so willfully ignorant as to deny not only what these women went through but also the way they changed the music industry they changed society like they changed like culture as a whole and i and i that's i don't think that's an exaggeration in any way like it is they changed the way that we perceived celebrities like think of mm -hmm. the rise and fall of paparazzi was with the pop girlies like mm -hmm. when you it's just like whole industries were created through these girls like blogs really got a boost like it, it's just for better or for worse yeah oh. Perez Hilton mm -hmm. will pay for his crimes. Um, but that's one thing that, and anyone that like follows me on Twitter knows that I'm very defensive about pop music. And I think that's why is because it it has shaped culture and it has made, it, it is important whether or not you like it or not. It is important. It is, it's, it's part of culture. It is part of why we are where we are today. And you wouldn't have a lot of things if it wasn't for these girls. Mm -hmm. Speaking of you on Twitter, Liz, where can we find you and read or listen to your amazing opinions? <laughs> um, so yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at yeah, no, for sure. That's uh, YA. Um, uh, yeah, my Substack is linked there. I haven't put anything out recently, but maybe I'll be sparked to write about pop culture <laughs> and pop music again. Honestly, um, fucking do it. <laughs> or don't uh, but live your own damn life thank you thank you um but yeah you can you can find me there uh and that's linked there uh as brie mentioned as well um i co-host a podcast about the toronto maple leafs called real good pros that's good with the you uh you can listen wherever you find podcasts uh you can follow us on twitter as well um and yeah you can listen to the the totally normal over there as well and sometimes throw in pop culture references like i make on peak show so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it really is like a, a podcast that has had a decent amount of crossovers um i feel like uh, the last time i was it's funny the last time i was on real good pros i was talking about how much i will defend justin hall to the death and today i'm still talking about how much i will defend <laughs> justin hall to the death so i'm nothing if not consistent um so as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at prune underscore underscore Tracy, or you can follow this podcast um, at Peak Show Pod. Um, you can also, I have a Substack now that I kind of write on a, on a semi-regular basis. Yeah. And in fact, I'm really proud of my most recent piece 
at the time of this recording, it will not be the most recent piece, but um, called are, are These Pick Me Girls in the Room with Us Right Now, in which I talk about the way we discuss not like other girls and how it dismisses a lot of these toxic expectations on women. So uh, you can find that at veganism.substack.com. That's veganism with a B-R-E-E. -E. Um, new episodes of this are due out every other Thursday. Uh, show art is by my husband, Jared Daly, and our theme show, uh, our theme song is Homo Logo by Jack Dump. Thanks for listening. And remember, you better work, bitch. <laughs>